Hey, this is JD, and I'm here with Vicky Rowe and AJ Ermitz tonight on Got Mead Live. From beekeeper to mead maker, we'll be talking with Zeb Johnson from Lion's Head Meadery in Yorktown, Virginia, plus the update on the Great Pumpkin Project and an extended version of Ask Oscar as he discusses nutrients and sizers with Vicky and I. So go get your mead and your phone. Get on back. Got Mead Live starts in less than 30 seconds. Well, we'll make it a quick 30 seconds. Um, <laughs> 27 <laughs> seconds, but who's counting? And a half. It's just enough time for me to, uh, you know, get everything all straightened out here and get all the right stuff in front of me. And, you know, uh, so that's the reason why. Find I, your glasses? Uh, yeah, find my glasses. Yeah, did you, did you find them before this time? <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah, so uh, that worked out very nice. But uh, the reason why we do a one-minute intro is that I need a little bit of time to kind of get all the buttons arranged and everything else. So, But, hey, um, we are here. I want to throw a shout-out to somebody I met over the weekend. The wife and I took off for a little day trip, a little excursion out towards uh, Oak Glen here in Southern California. It's the uh, apple orchard country. Uh, uh, east of us here and uh, I met a young gal uh, her name is Cheryl at Willowbrook Apple Farm in Oak Glen uh, and uh, I had to stop because ladies there was this big sign in the road that said guess what French fries you know (laughs) honey (laughs) (laughs) so I had to stop in and say uh, say hello so uh, Hello, uh, and a shout-out to uh, Cheryl at Willowbrook Apple Farm in Oak Glen, California. Um, Drinking. What are we drinking tonight? I have a pre-production bottle of Wildberry Pie Mint from Bee Nectar. They don't even make this anymore. And uh, I discovered it whilst rootling through my stash. So this was a bottle I got before they actually opened their doors, which was kind of cool. So I'm tickled to be drinking it. It's a big bodied piment with tons of flavor. And um, it's a teensy bit oxidized, but it's like 12 years old. So it's just great. Yeah. Wow. Dust it off, eh? <laughs> yeah, I did have to dust it off. <laughs> uh, AJ, tonight, you- tonight I've got some uh, cider that I made as a tribute to a friend of mine who died last year. Uh, we're gathering to massacre pumpkins this weekend, and uh, I'll be serving it on tap in a friend's keg. Um, the apples for this one were picked in August, and the rest, the, the, what what didn't fit in the keg isn't bottled yet, so I was pouring it right out of the carboy, <laughs> which is always a fun thing to do. <laughs> that works. So I had well, to sweeten it up a little bit because it's uh, it turned out a little bit on the sour side. Yeah, I uh, I'm drinking a hard apple sizer, I guess you call it, because it was made with honey. So I guess this qualifies as a sizer. How much is, honey? Um, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, just I mean, not to not to pick uh, nits, but for anybody since but since we're going to be talking sizers on Ask Oscar tonight. Um, for it to be a sizer, more than 50% of the fermentable sugar would need to be from honey. 
Yeah, it's just apple juice and honey. And yeah, uh, I just, basically as a sizer. Yeah, basically it's you know it, it tastes like a tart apple, a uh, little on the dry side, just like I like it. And this is one of the few, very few things that actually made it to a bottle in my own little in-house meadery. So I'm rather proud of it, actually. Yeah. So uh, welcome to Got Me Live here on another Tuesday night in November. According, uh, Actually, according to a study by the American Mead Maker Association, Vicky and AJ, uh, mead producer, the mead, the mead community, mead making community, professional mead making, I guess, has really exploded 130% since 2011. Mm-hmm. Mead is now the fastest growing alcoholic beverage category in the U.S., surpassing craft beer. You believe well, that? Yeah, yeah, but we're still, uh, as a percentage of the greater wine market, um, still just a very small drop in the ocean, but we're making sure. bigger dents every day. So yeah. And I would say it's a lot more than 130% since, what'd you say? 2009? Uh, 2011. Yeah. I think it's more like 200, 250%. Oh, I'm sure it is by now. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, uh, <laughs> I'm the one where they get all those statistics from. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Growing extremely fast. And, uh, again, welcome to got me live. You can become a patron member a supporting patron member at gotme.com 25 bucks a year uh, that gets you access to a whole lot more you've heard me preach and preach and preach i should really put one of those frocks and the collars on uh, and start uh, maybe become the uh, the gotme.com reverend there's a scary <laughs> thought <laughs> But uh, get that get that patron access. I'm telling you, you're going to be amazed. I mean, uh, all of the things become available to you. Pay that 25 bucks. It also helps, you know, Vicky manage and, and pay for the websites and, and all the uh, uh, stuff that, that goes on here, including this radio show every Tuesday night. So uh, $25 a year is all, is all it is. I mean, it, it's nothing. I mean, that's, uh, that's you know, what, what, a bottle and a half of mead? Yeah. Uh, Depending on what I come up with, that may go up a little bit. But uh, for now, I'm leaving it while I explore avenues of new cool things to give my patrons. You know, I mean, even if it's 30 bucks a year or whatever it comes out to, I mean, it's still well worth, you know, if you're a serious mead maker and you really want to get into this hobby and really do it well, uh, this is the place to get your information from. And uh, I mean, there isn't any other place check with me okay there just isn't any other place so uh get that access uh, and uh, get your fees in facebook got me real simple twitter you can talk to us during the show at got me now and then uh, ask oscar you just go to the radio page here on gotme.com and uh, i believe the link is right there under you just to- what is it hold your mouse over the uh, deal and how does that work? Just, just go, uh, when you put your mouse over the Got Me Live radio show, the Ask Oscar link pops right up. Plus, it's also on the main page. There you go. And please, do us a favor. Do Oscar a favor. Do Vicky a favor. When you're filling out the information, you have to be as complete 
Well, no. How, how did you say that last time? You must be. Uh, I, I want to know what you put in it, how long it was in there, what the temperature was, beginning, middle, and end, what you were doing every day, the kind of music you were playing, how you were holding your mouth, the temperature in the room, what kind of clothes you were wearing, and whether or not your spouse was home, if you have one. All of that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. You, you want to kind of tell us every little thing, even, I mean, I'm being a little ridiculous, but you want to tell us as many details as you can, because, for instance... If you tell me that you did A, B, C, D, and E on batch one and it was 70 degrees in the room and A, B, C, D, and E, it was six for me. I think you know? lost there just for a minute. Yeah, that? Vicky, you just cut out. Yeah. I'm all okay. Oh, back. Uh, yeah, but I, you know, the bottom line is, uh, you know, you, you just have to be as complete uh, as possible and get all of the right information in because... Oscar and Vicky can't help you if you don't have all the information. So, uh, and they don't have time to chase you down to get more information. Exactly. And we won't try. Honestly, if you don't give us a lot of info, your question will just sit there. And we're not being mean. We just we both have jobs. You know. <laughs> hmm. The call in number. Put this on your smartphone. Make it a speed dial. Eight one eight nine two one four six eight zero. Eight one eight nine two one. Four six eight zero. Uh, the show links uh, simple. Gotme.com website. Uh, just go to the radio page, and the uh, player is right there. If you're mobile, you can take us with you. You can download the app from Gotme.com for both the iOS and Android devices uh, from uh, Gotme.com. That includes the TuneIn app, uh, which uh, is our mobile live player that you can take right along with us with uh with you on the uh, on the road so uh and then of course all of the replays are available right there on gotme.com as well so uh with that uh, you know what we need to step away take a real quick commercial break when we come back we'll be talking to zeb johnston sit tight Known for the most amazing and creative alcoholic beverages made from honey, Bee Nectar is a worldwide sensation. Bee Nectar gives their fans a variety of options from their famous zombie killer, a hard cider made with honey and cherries to kill all the golfers, a lightly carbonated draft mead made with black tea and lemon juice. Bee Nectar makes mead, ciders, and beers that extend beyond the traditional. They let their imaginations guide them. Learn more at BeeNectar.com. That's BeeNectar with a K.com. If you're a mead maker, you need GotMead.com. It is the absolute best and most complete resource for mead making you will ever need. The forum consists of recipes, discussion on equipment, techniques, and methods, complete with its own batch calculator. GotMead.com offers everything you need to start making mead today. And for just $25 a year, as a patron member, you'll have access to proven award-winning recipes, fermentation management, equipment discussion, and a whole lot more. GotMead.com. Sign up today. Growing up in a culture where home winemaking was a way of life, Sergio Mutella naturally began making wine himself as an adult, finding his way into brewing beer and eventually his discovery of mead. Earning numerous mead-making awards, Melovino opens his doors, becoming the first meadery in the Garden State. Featuring 20 different craft meads with amazing variety, Melovino is the fastest-growing meadery in the country. 
Melovino offers tastings and tours every weekend, and all of their meads are available online, shipping to 22 states across the country. Go to melovino.com and book your tour and tasting today. Located at 2933 Vauxhall Road near the rear of the Milburn Mall in Vauxhall, New Jersey. Melovino.com. Hey, this is J.D. Webb from Got Mead Live. You know, it's all about the mead here at Got Mead. And I have to tell you, I am in love with Fling from Moonlight Meadery. The way they balance the tartness from the rhubarb against the semi-sweet strawberry and orange blossom honey is just amazing. Do yourself a favor. Go buy some Moonlight Meadery meads now. Visit them at their online store at moonlightmeadery.com forward slash store or ask for it where you shop. Demand it where you shop. Ask for Moonlight Meadery meads. And we are back live here on Got Me Live. And uh, our guest, Vicky, was a beekeeper. I, I guess he still is a beekeeper who was selling honey in Yorktown, uh, uh, Yorktown, Virginia. I guess at the uh, Yorktown Market Days. Uh, must be like a farmer's market out there. And uh, apparently some uh, customers uh, asked him about uh, making mead. And uh, so he started making mead. So please welcome Zeb Johnston. Hey, Zeb. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Cool beans. So so you went from uh, doing the beekeeping thing, and so what happened? You were selling your honey, and folks started asking, or what? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, they'd, they'd ask me for honey, ask me for very specific amounts, which I later learned was exactly the right amount for a one-gallon, three-gallon, or five-gallon carboy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've done that way Gary, too. <laughs> get, a, get a little deja vu there. Wow, wait a minute. That's why they wanted that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it didn't take long for me to uh, look it up, figure out, hey, I can do this, and started making it myself. And the rest is, you know, I'm still writing the history. Yeah, well, it's it's becoming history as you go forward. So um, once they, you know, once people are going, hey, do you make mead? You know, okay, this is maybe a little self-serving. Where'd you go to learn how to make mead? What was the first place you ended up? Well, I got on Google and right away started coming up with sites got mead was one of them found some recipes mm -hmm. uh, one of the first recipes i found was a blackberry mellow mel recipe that won an alaska gold medal nice um, so in, in addition to a traditional recipe that was the next one i started with and from there just started modifying my own recipes and tweaking and learning and it's not not just the recipe the process is also very important so that was a, a good step as well that's good here that's uh something that that not everybody realizes at the outset that having a great recipe doesn't help you at all unless you've got the methods working yeah absolutely so when did you get started with keeping bees is this a uh is this like a personal thing or is this your business uh, I've always had really bad allergies and I developed a motorcycle habit a few years ago and out on my motorcycle runs, I'd come up to these farm stands and buy local honey. Mm -hmm. And I started carrying a backpack just so I could bring local honey back with me for my own allergies. Oh, nice. Oh, neat. And then, uh, the motorcycle habit got a little expensive, too many tickets, <laughs> too many modifications. I needed a new hobby. So I got <laughs> 
<laughs> from motor to beekeeping. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I want. I want to. I want to see that logic chain. But all right. <laughs> oh. Hey, I'm telling you, it got expensive and. Uh, so I, I love beekeeping, you know, the day job can be challenging. I can go out there, work with the bees, sit there and just watch them. And it's a very peaceful, natural experience. And I love working with the bees and I've been doing that for many years now. Um, I got my MBA. I needed something more to do since I wasn't at school all night and, uh, started a beekeeping business as a practice business where I could start selling local honey at the market. Okay. So that's your kind of your second job then after the job job. Yeah, well, I'm a beekeeper and mead maker first, but I do uh, my day job 40 hours a week so I can afford the other stuff. Right, right. Yeah, Pay- you're not the only one like that. <laughs> yeah, paying for your hobbies. Yeah. I was just I was just talking to my to my uh um honey seller today as a matter of fact. So, you know, like how much exactly how much how much uh, affiliate money do I have with you since I'm constantly sending you people? <laughs> I need honey. <laughs> right? She's like my pusher, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Keep feeding the habit, Vicki. <laughs> That's right. I got a honey pusher. and Boy, is she good at what she does. Um, like uh, AJ's plan of trading honey for mead. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's pretty much the only way I can legally make it pay for itself. Yeah, I, I did that for folks too. Um, people would buy the honey, and I would make they would they would buy the honey and whatever else it was that was going to go into it, and then uh, I would I just make go a the bottle for, for a them. bottle. Yeah, I go I a just, bottle for a bottle, and that works. Uh, see, I was doing contract meads basically. They buy the materials. Too. Yeah, I'd make all the meat and keep twenty five percent of the resultant production, yep. and then give the rest to them. Yep, I've done that too. Yeah, it works. So Zeb, how many uh, how many hives are you running? I have ten here and two at my dad's house. Um, I had eleven until about two weeks ago, but one of them swarmed, and you know that hive I, t- I disassembled. So I have ten now. Um, hopefully, they'll all make it through winter, but I typically lose about a you know a third of them through winter. Okay. How much honey do you get? Uh, I have no idea. And I've always thought that I wanted to be a beekeeper, especially after getting to this mead thing. But how many, how much honey do you actually get out of a hive? You can get uh, 50 to 100 pounds per hive per year, but not in the first year, only in the second year and the years thereafter. That's one, that's one of those white boxes that I see out in the orange groves. Yes. Wow. Holy cow. So you're talking a five gallon pail or more. Yeah. Out of every hive. That's pretty nice. And I noticed that you um, said something in your, in your write up that your bees hang out at, uh, in organic areas. You don't have commercial farms where you're at. So you have, you have bees without pesticides then, or or at least Um, pesticides. More or less. I live in the middle of a neighborhood. I have one third of an acre as my property. I bought this house with knowing where I was going to put it, hide it behind the garage under the trees with an eight foot fence, a certain distance between my neighbors, you know, their houses. And this neighborhood is absolutely near, near, not near any commercial farms. 
it's just in the middle of a neighborhood in suburban city. Okay. And are you near Yorktown or? Yeah, I'm about 10 miles from Yorktown. Okay. I'll have to put you on my mead trail next time I get up Virginia way. Yeah. What, um, uh, so your, your hives, so you have 10 hives right now. Is, is that what you're using for all of your mead production? No. Your, your, oh, okay. No, I use I use a lot of it for my meads right now, but when I go into commercial production, that will not support as much meat as I want to make. So I will be buying from other beekeepers for sure. You're going to try to stay mostly local, or at least in state, if possible. Um, okay. You know, local honey can be considerably more expensive than you know commercial bulk honey. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. On the other hand, though, I mean, there are independent honey providers uh, that can do bulk that do have reasonable prices. You just got to find them. Yeah, but there's I don't know of any commercial beekeepers in this immediate area. And uh, beekeeping, beekeeping with just a few hives like that is very timely and very expensive and uh, you know, the commercial guys can afford to do it for much cheaper because they have, you know, the equipment, the the investment that is their full time job and they can do it very efficiently. Yeah. Um, a small time beekeeping is a lot of work. What's the most difficult thing about being a beekeeper? Uh, keeping the neighbors happy. (laughs) (laughs) You have to make sure not to uh, steal the honey at the wrong time of year. You know, the bees will start to realize, Hey, there's that guy again. He took all our honey last time. And then, you know, you got to make sure that the bees are happy. Uh, you know, if they're happy and they're not getting used to you stealing it all the time, then they won't go after the neighbors and, uh, you know, keep the water out. Hey, um, this is bee, beekeeping 101. How do you keep a bee happy? You don't steal all their honey at the wrong time of year. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. All right. Um, okay. Like the first couple of years I would go to market, I would go every other weekend. And on the off weekend, I would try to collect as much honey as I had. I uh, As much honey as I could from the beehives. Well, they don't collect that much honey in two weeks. And when you go back every two weeks, they start to recognize, hey, there's a guy stealing our honey again. Let's get him before he gets in our hive. (laughs) Oh, dear. So there is a trick. Now I have a lot more hives. I don't mess with them except for every few weeks. Um, I'm more strategic. I don't steal their honey after about June. They actually keep a lot of their honey from June on through the rest of the year. That's the honey they live on uh, through winter. And whatever's left after winter, that's what I collect in April and I sell at the market. And then uh, whatever they collect in May and June, I'll take that. And then the honey from, uh, you know, June, July through the rest of the year, that's all there is again. It was several months ago. uh, I don't know who it was, but they, um, I I watched this video about this colony collapse that happened uh, really not all that long ago, I guess. 
is that still a concern today with uh, with beekeepers? Is that something that uh, uh, that you're concerned with? Absolutely. Um, I think personally, I think that it has more to do with the commercial beekeeping and the commercial pesticides. Um, I, I think the average, you know, survival of the fittest, uh, you know, a beekeeper can expect to lose about a third of their hives and that's no real cause for concern. If you start losing two thirds of your hives every year, then there's something going on. It's the colony collapse disorder, which could be a combination of uh, varroa mite, pesticides, a lot of other issues. Um, but yes, it's still a very real concern. Yeah, interesting. Uh, sadly, that comes along with too much civilization, like so many other things that we're having to deal with. Yes. But I, I personally believe that the more we encourage local, suburban, city beekeepers, uh, the, the way you get away from the pesticides, that's how you're going to keep the bees going and you're still supporting your neighbors. And, you know, people want that local pollen in the honey. So you're also serving that market. Yeah. Well, and I noticed that you said earlier you have a lot of allergies, and while you were motorcycling about with your backpack, you were collecting local honeys to, to help with your allergies. So you were using the desensitization effects of honey then, right? Exactly. Exactly. My, my mom thought I just coincidentally got sick every April and May for the first three years, you know, as a child. And the, <laughs> the doctor finally said, no, he's not getting sick every year at this time. He's got allergies, really bad allergies. Wow. Yeah, that's miserable. When I moved from uh, northern Michigan to central Georgia, I discovered the whole, uh, if you cross more than three state lines, then, then you have a whole new set of flora and fauna to deal with. I thought my face was going to fall off in April and May. It hurts so bad. Yeah. Uh, my allergies are sort of sometimes exposure makes them better and sometimes exposure makes them worse. Depends on the allergy. Wow. But there's uh, something about the East Coast. Like when I fly out to Colorado for the Mazer Cup or to visit friends, I can, as soon as I hit that, uh, the mountain range coming back, I get stuffy again. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've noticed that. I've noticed that basically for me, it seems to average out to about three states away in any direction. Going north I, or south? Yeah. If I get more than three states from home, you'd basically, if you're more than three states from home, at least from what I've seen, there's sufficient difference in the local pollen producers to, you know, to, to, to affect things. Cause I've got, I've acclimated now I've been in the South for 25 years now, 30 years. So now I'm used to it here and now I get allergy symptoms when I go back home to visit my dad. Okay. Yeah. So I've never had allergies growing up. I didn't get him until I graduated college. I married, got a job and moved away. <laughs> and then I got allergies. Like, Oh, thank you. <laughs> so you guys are shooting for, uh, Sometime this year, assuming the TTB cooperates, what uh, you know, what are you going to lead out of the gate with? If if you want to, if you want to say, if we're dipping into secrets, please tell us. <laughs> well, I've got to have a, a traditional, um, a good traditional mead, semi-sweet. Um, I have, I think, I feel like I have some pretty good recipes on that. 
I've also done several iterations of a cherry recipe, um, blackberries kind of where I started with, and I've tried a lot of different yeast, a lot of different, you know, yeah, I did these six. Now I'm going to pick this one. I like the best. I'm going to tweak that recipe a little bit and go from there, but, uh, mostly the mellow mills. Okay. And those are, those are easy sellers is the nice thing. Um, are you guys going to have a tasting room when you open or are you going to go for just direct to stores or, you know, what's the plan? I don't know what the rules are in Virginia. Um, we'll go direct to stores and uh, restaurants. Um, oh, nice. We have the three tier system here, but there is a Virginia winery distribution company, which allows you to kind of skip the distribution step. And it, it allows you to start off and, and, grow within the state without giving up such a high percentage to the distributors. Um, yeah, but we that's won't, handy. We won't have a tasting room at start. Um, the, the expenses for starting up a tasting room, building it out, you know, heck, six months of, you know, leasing a space before you can get your first TTB permits, that's pretty expensive, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you're near a pretty pretty large metro area. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not you know Washington D.C. or Richmond, but it's still there's a lot of people in Yorktown. Yeah, we have the Norfolk, Virginia Beach area. Um, there's well over a million people in you yeah. know, this area. Well, and you got a couple of major highways going through that area too, so that's good. Yeah. Certainly not as busy as uh, Melovino's uh, spot in New Jersey and New York. but Oh, my God, yeah. I visited <laughs> there, and I think I sat through like six light iterations at the light that's like a block and a half from his location. <laughs> I was pounding the steering wheel and screaming by the time I finally got through the light. It was like, serious? It was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I don't even want to know what it's like at rush hour. <laughs> oh God. I mean, literally six iterations of this light. It was like, come on. Yeah, D.C. is pretty much the same. You don't go there at certain times of the day. You know, that's that. Yeah, I just assume that I'm going to be screaming and pounding on the steering wheel if I have to go (laughs) anywhere near D.C. doesn't matter what time of day or night. It just kind of sucks, you know. Yeah. During the day, it's full of cars. And during the night, there's less cars, but it's full of construction. So, you know. Well, it's better than trying to do this construction at the same time the cars are there. Well, they do that, too. Yeah, well, this is Washington D.C. That's what they do in California. Yeah, uh, well, we, in Michigan we call it road destruction season. You know, Zeb, you said uh, you said you entered some of your uh, meads into competitions. How well did you do? Um, some of them I did pretty good. The first competitions I didn't. I, I got a lot of good feedback. We'll put it that way. Um, I went to the Domrus Cup in Savannah, um, went to the Mazer Cup, and I got excellent feedback. Uh, then I did well at uh, with a traditional at Mead Free or Die, and uh, got a best of show at Mead Linium uh, this year, and that's in Florida. Um, and I've been so busy over this summer, I haven't done any more competitions after that, but I think as a new mead maker, it's important to go to these competitions because you get such wonderful feedback and you, they tell you how to improve on your recipes. They can taste things that you may not understand. I mean, let's face it. All my friends loved it, but they've never had mead before. 
So getting involved in these competitions and learning the, uh, from experts and, and hearing that feedback and how to improve things was very, very valuable. Was there a particular recipe or, or were they a mix of uh, traditional melomels? Of I had two different traditional recipes. One I called Sarah's Choice. Um, that was when I was trying a different yeast, and the, that was a 71B yeast that won that. Um, I had a strawberry mellow mel that placed at uh, Millennium as well. And I can't remember what the second traditional uh, recipe, what yeast that one was. But it's, it seems like uh, people, the tastes vary around the country. People's taste buds are different in different areas. What does well at one competition barely gets noticed at another. Weird. Um, yeah. What, um, you know, there's probably a lot of people out there wondering, uh, where do you start? I mean, where, where do you start when you, you know, you're thinking about putting a meadery together? Uh, can you kind of describe the process that you had to go through, uh, and you know what's involved, uh, uh, you know, as as far as getting uh, trying to get a, a, a meadery, you know, opened up. For me, it was, hey, I love this. I love this drink. Um, I used to say, if you can't afford a good drink, then it's time to quit drinking and go back to work. I didn't know at the time that I could make a wonderful drink for much cheaper <laughs> and, and I love doing it. So once I, I found the product and said, yeah, I, I love this, then it came down to the financials of, okay, what is this going to cost me? What can it sell for? You know, how, how does it financially come together? Is this a, a very financially viable business? Um, putting together that 10 point business plan and, and thinking through every part of it and then starting to make it happen. Um, How long a process was it uh, in developing your business plan? Uh, I want to say six months. I had a friend telling me you should start your business plan on that. Um, at the time, I was, me and one of my best friends were trying to make gluten-free beers, thinking that would be a good business. Um, it was a Eric that said, hey, you should start a meadery. And I said, no, that's, you know, if that was a great idea, it would have been a done million times. And I, you know, it took a few months for that to sink in. Um, but then it was like, Hey, meat is gluten free. This is really getting good and I can do this. Um, so gluten free a thing for you? No, it is for, uh, one of my good friends, John, it all sure. of a sudden gluten was killing him and he couldn't drink anymore. Um, yeah. And that's, that's, uh, there's so much of that going on these days. So mm -hmm. I can totally see going that route. But yeah, I, I had, I was kind of giggling to myself when you said, you know, if it was a great idea, everybody be doing it. Well, kinda <laughs> everybody is doing it. <laughs> when I put out that call for people getting ready to open a meadery who were not yet open, I filled every spot in about 15 minutes. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. And, and had people piling on behind that going, wait, wait, I want in, you know, I mean, so me too, me too. <laughs> yeah. There's meteries are popping up like all over everywhere. And it's just, it's so cool. 
But a, a sobering fact is something you mentioned a, a, a few weeks ago that you had to take 25 off of your list, uh, you know, from those popping up. Yeah, they, they don't make it. And yeah. I mean, that's the case. Honestly, I mean, if you look at small business statistics, uh, something like 80% of small businesses fold in the first five years. Pretty scary statistic. And looking at the meteries, I'd have to say that at least 60% of them and maybe more, and I'm just, you know, I'm pulling an average out from just what I've seen anecdotally, make it for those five years. So they're beating the odds. By oh, a good cool. by a good bit, so it is a very viable business so long as you uh, you know grow responsibly and market for what you're you know for what your market's looking for. I mean that's the big thing. I've had that conversation with a lot of people. It's you got to know your you got to know your local market because that's those are your peeps. You know until you can start to grow out of your local area, you got to know what it is that they're looking for, and you've got a lot of opportunities because. Will you be able to go to farmers markets once you open to do tastings? I believe in Virginia, you can go up to four special events and you have to frame it as an educational event, mm-hmm. which is oh. not a problem because I'm a beekeeper and mead is a new thing. So I can educate you both on bees and mead and I typically bring out a observation hive where kids can come up and look at the bees in the, the plexiglass. So it's, we can do uh, we can do four events like that a year. Okay, well that's pretty cool. So you know you can be raising awareness. Um, I, I know North Carolina. Once you get an event license, it kind of covers you for um, festivals and farmers markets and so forth and so on. There was a meadery I did some stuff for. We were we were testing the market to see if people what people knew about mead. And he was a new meadery in North Carolina at the time. And um, so I went and I'd take half a dozen cases of his stuff down to the local farmer's market and just stand there and do tastings all day long. And 90% of the people walked away with meat in their hands. Nice. Yeah. So, and these were people that, you know, when you ask them, what did they drink? They'd go red, white, you know, they, they really were very, you know, just, I like what I like. And they didn't, they weren't wine snobs. They weren't really into knowing all the whys and wherefores of, you know, alcoholic beverages. They just liked what they liked. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. And I mean, there were people who were like dyed in the wool and Merlot drinkers, like, ah, no way, that's going to, everything's going to be too sweet. And I had them buying half cases of this off dry, uh, fortified traditional that he made. <laughs> and, um, it was, and it was, it was really big. It was like a sit on the deck with a brandy snifter kind of mead, you know, it was big and full in the mouth and all this. And it was very, very ever so slightly sweet, which to a Merlot person is like, ah, sugar. And they were loving it and, and just sucking it up. And then they had an off dry blackberry that replaced the Merlot really well. It, you know, so people were going for it and they'd start out going, oh, ew, and they go, whoa, hey, this is kind of good. <laughs> and in my uh, ventures into North Carolina, I, I seem to remember a lot of people love that uh, Dublin wine. Very oh, Dublin's very, yeah. yeah. Dublin is, is uh, it's using our native grapes, the Muscadine and, and Scuppernong grapes, which are North Carolina grapes. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, very popular, very sweet. Too sweet for me personally. 
Oh yeah. Most of their, most of their meads are even too sweet for me. And that's saying something, but I'll tell you what though, next time you get down there and you can only get this at Duplin winery, they will not put it in stores or you can get it shipped. If you've been to the winery, they have an almond champenois style scuppernong wine that is to die for it makes the world's best mimosas hands down <laughs> so good I, I like drive it's a two and a half hour drive for me and i will drive down there just to get it you know we're talking to zeb johnston from lion's head meter yorktown virginia if you've got a question for zeb Give us a holler. You know the number, 818-921-4680. Looking for that phone call. Chris, I know you're out there. Uh, <laughs> Chris from Miss. So, so is David Webb. Uh, we missed David Webb on the last show. But, uh, Zeb, if there's any, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people out there like you who are probably looking into starting a meadery. And what advice would, would you give them, uh you know, as far as where to start, uh, you know, with their metery. Personally, I think, you know, understanding the finances, estimating all of your expenses and then doubling it for all the things you didn't realize. Um, to, to, for me, the still the scariest thing today is how long are these TTB permits going to take? I thought it was going to be three months and here it is six months. Um, you know, my financial plan, my business plan was not to rent a space for three months or six months. I have a, a place that I'm not paying anything on it until I actually start production. But dang, that's, that's a scary thing when you don't have a lot of money to work with. It is. So it's, for me personally, it is not just making a great mead. A great mead is a great mead, but you've got to really have that um, that business planning behind you to make sure you can can get through that. Yeah, um, I'm still working through it. I'm still scared. Well, and to, uh, well, I was just going to say, back it up with uh, uh, kind of a follow up question. Did you have anybody? you were working with or is this something that you've done all by yourself um i i've done dozens of things on my own over the years since i was cutting grass at 12 years old i'm entrepreneur spirit that's for sure um but i my education i have a i got an mba from william and mary a few years ago and i hope to do them proud uh, they they taught me very well and one of my classes was specifically on managing and financing a, a small business and that was an incredible class and basically i've gone back to my notes and did all the steps to put this business plan together and um, like I said, when I got that MBA, the first thing I did was say, what am I going to do with all this free time? And I started Zeb's Bees LLC as a practice business to, to get myself introduced to some of the legislative, uh, legislative parts, the licensing, the basic stuff like that. So it was really a practice business just to get my feet wet and um, going into a meadery where it's very highly legislated is, uh, you know, the other end of the spectrum, but, uh, that's, that's what I did personally. I've, I, I do have, uh, you know, fellow students, fellow professors that I can get some advice from. That's, it's a great school. Um, but mostly it's, it's on my own. 
cool. So I'm assuming that you're taking advantage of the experience available in the AMMA group as far as things like labels and recipes and, and your TTB stuff. Have you, Absolutely. have you dipped into that? Absolutely. Yes. Um, there's a wealth of info in there, boy. Yeah. I'm a lurker. I don't want to ask too many of the newbie questions. You know, I respect these guys time. Um, there are 1600 people on there now. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to be that guy that's not looking up stuff and just asking everybody, you know, for their info. Um, but I, yeah, I, I read a lot on there. Yeah. Well, I mean, don't be afraid to get out there with, uh, you know, good questions. Cause I mean, you know, I know a lot of the people in the industry from, you know, Mike fall to, you know, some of the newest people getting in. And one of the things that I have noticed is that while not all of them, you know, are out there actively helping their wound up in their businesses or whatever, but a lot of them are really really keen on seeing new mean makers succeed because if you guys succeed we all do you know it's good for the industry so for everyone they can help get through that five-year thing don't be afraid to say hey you know it's been out there for 181 days should i be worried is there anything i need to be doing yeah, definitely. And, and I've gotten some great advice from the experienced, you know, mead makers that have been in business for a few years and are doing very well. Um, I did an interview with a local newspaper and I mentioned, Hey, I'm following this business plan. I'm starting off in a garage. And I think the, um, the interviewer contacted Michael Fairbrother and his name was in the newspaper as well. Hmm. So he's, I'm learning a lot from him and other mead makers. And when people read the front page of that newspaper, they read about Moonlight Meadery. And next thing you know, they're, they're buying his in the store. So Mm -hmm. it is a very beneficial for everybody involved. Uh, You know, the little guys and the big guys. Yeah, I mean that's that's why I started Got Me was to help all this along. So I'm I'm big on the get out there and make use of the the knowledge that's available. I'm I'm guessing that being an MBA and it sounds like you're pretty organized that you're probably already prepping your work for your recipes and labels. Yes, I um, I am, but there's a lot of things I'm good at and a lot of things I'm not good at. And designing labels is not going to be one of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's where your buddy, the graphic designer, comes in. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Well, you guys got a great logo, so you've already got a really good start. I love the lion with glasses. It is so cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's very simple, and yet it's very striking. And that's, that's a big deal. I mean, I've seen metery labels, uh, you know, metery logos, everything from just words all the way up to super colorful, extremely elaborate and very pretty logos and everything in between. But yours has got a really nice balance between presence and simplicity. I, I like that. Yes, and I hired a professional to design that for me. Smart man, smart man. Again, That's what I mean. <laughs> there's a lot of things I'm not good at, and I needed a lot of help with that. And uh, Odd Moxie is also going to be helping with the the labels um, in keeping a theme. They, she created uh, Gretchen created the whole identity guide, and it's been great working with her. And um, you, again half of being good is knowing what you're bad at and yep. believe me yeah. there's a lot of things i'm not good at 
knowing your limitations is a mark of a good business person and when it's time to go outside and get somebody else. Yeah. Well, even in my engineering degree, one of the things they taught us is to know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And never that's be probably afraid. one of the more valuable pieces of information I got from that course. So. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the- it's tough to know what you don't know. Yeah, because <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. To know. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> but that's where you know that's where not being afraid to ask what what sometimes feels like stupid questions, but really aren't. I operate on and always have on the assumption, and I teach this to my students. I, I tell my clients this and, you know, and I tell people on got me this, the only stupid questions are the ones you don't ask, you know, it's cause if you just sit there and go, well, that sounds idiotic. I'm not going to say anything, you know, and just kind of huddle down, then you're never going to find out. The worst thing that can happen is everybody ignores you, <laughs> you know? in which case you're no worse off. Right. We'll just right. add a corollary onto that to Google it first and then ask the question. Well, yeah, Google, <laughs> Google. Yeah, it kind of goes without saying to utilize, utilize the, the Google verse. But, you know, um, I'm a, I'm a, I have a black belt in Google foo. So yeah. <laughs> I usually spend quite a while on Google before I get to the first question to ask somebody. But, um, yeah, I mean, it sounds it, it, it sounds like you're really, you know, kind of crossing your crossing your eyes and dotting your T's. And yes, I did that deliberately um, <laughs> to make sure that it gets there. So, I mean, once you get your once you get your TTB sign off for the meter itself, how far after that, assuming that labels and recipes go through in a reasonable period of time, are you guys timelining to try to get? mead on the street it, I, I think uh, right the the recipes will take about two months the labels take about a month uh, the fermenters are almost here um, cool you know then it's just two or three months of fermentation before it's bottled and you know you gotta hit the markets and, and make sure you sell it so it's we're probably about six months out which is scary because we were hoping to be in the stores now. Yeah. But the yeah, TV uh, had other ideas. Yeah. We've got uh we've got a long time listener, every time caller uh, waiting in the queue here. Chris <laughs> from Mississippi's on on uh, on the line. Chris, uh, welcome to the show again. Have you got a question for Zeb? Hey, Chris. Yeah. Hey, hey, I'm nothing if not faithful. He is very loyal. <laughs> yes, we like that. He's our loyalist fan. Yeah, we're going to, yeah. to the show. If he wasn't always out cracking people's chests, we'd have him on regular, you know, as a host. <laughs> I just, I, I was going to ask, what kind of volume are you looking to start out with in production when you first get started? Uh, I think that our target for the first year would be 3,000 gallons. Um, I think that is a very high estimate, but, you know, it's a, it's a goal. Yeah. Goals, mm-hmm. goals should make you stretch, but not be completely out of reach. How what, big, what size batches are you going to be doing? We have two 1,000 liter fermenters. Oh, um, wow. So 265 <laughs> gallons. They're uh, glycol cooled. Um, They've been on order. They should be on a boat from Italy now, but you know that's taken longer than expected to. Mm. On a boat from that's Italy. a lot of mead. That is. And did you? And, and, and could you hear? 
Yeah, yeah, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I know where Vicky's going with this one. Yeah, I heard that. It was the like wheel. not on the show, dude. Come on. <laughs> the wheels are turning, aren't they? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I like, can't get a one thousand gallon. Sidney's uh, uh, over there hear, having like mead. He's having like mead gasms over there. It's just hilarious. Did you hear? Did you hear the gas come across the radio from that? Yeah. <laughs> JD's uh, mentally in his head. He's going, "How tall is my garage?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. and, and how how uh, quickly will my wife will my wife kill me if I buy one of these? These uh, these fermenters uh, b- uh, from Italy are, are are these something special order or? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, they were ordered. You know, you can change the the man uh, manway opening and. Um, you know, how big do you want the glycol jackets and all of that? So they were not cheap. Um, we didn't expect to start off with such big things, but as things started progressing and, uh, you know, people that know me know what I can do, you know, money became available. Um, so I'm not looking for any investors, not looking for any loans or anything, but you know, when it's kind of given to you, it, you work with it. So we're, we're starting off a little bit stronger than we expected. Um, and from watching AMMA and, uh, you know, the got Mead forums, you, you learn from those that are in it that, Hey, <laughs> get the biggest fermenters you can. It, it takes just as much time to, you know, process a, a 100 gallons as it is for a 500 gallons. Um, so I took that advice and went with it. Yeah. And I would assume it's probably uh, cheaper to, to go all out right at the beginning than it is to try and retrofit later. Yeah, you you can't size up a fermenter. Um, but also when you look at the cost per gallon of a, the capacity, it's, you know, it gets a lot cheaper for larger capacity um, when you look at it that way. It's a lot more expensive, but it's cheaper per gallon. Yeah, your yeah. surface area volume ratio again. Exactly. Yeah. So, how many of these fermenters do you have coming? Two to start with. Two to start with. So that's two thousand gallons, right? So if you can run both of those once, then that's two thirds of your goal. Yeah, well, these are uh, be doing first and second. Two thousand liters. That'll yeah. be, those that'll be almost. Yeah, two thousand liters is about two hundred and sixty uh, gallons. Sorry, I'm. Mis- I'm sorry. One thousand liters. Five hundred gallons. Yeah, one thousand liters is about two sixty-five, and I got two of those. So uh, I'm assuming that you're going to do um, the pitch the batch in one, then rack it into the other, and then the first one then becomes open for batch number two. Uh. Yeah, for probably the first batch, um, but I do want a, you know, a basic fermenter, no glycol, just to use. I would love to find a mixing tank, but they're all kind of sold out for that size at the moment. Um, Crazy. So, yeah, the the first batch is you got to turn that money over. Uh, it's it's very expensive. That's a lot of honey. So it is. Yeah, you got to turn that over before you can uh, grow into the second one. Yeah, definitely. Going to start with going to start with uh, five gallon pails, or going to go straight to barrels? 
Uh, still thinking about that. Um, you know, a, a 55 gallon barrel of honey is very heavy. Yeah. And, uh, Lord, I don't want to drop that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then there's Yay, the whole, how do we get it into the fermenter thing too? You know, it's awkward if you don't have the right equipment and which is also expensive. So yeah. When you, when you have to think about, okay, what is the weight of the fluid in this? And is this going to crack the concrete under the floor? And <laughs> oh, geez, you know, what yeah. is the what is a car way and one tire is one fourth of the car. And okay, that's what this, you know, and actually measuring the concrete and, you know, you start thinking about it too much. It's like, okay, yeah, we're not going to break the concrete and it's short enough to fit in the door. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and the funny thing is, is you'd be surprised how many people don't get to that point. You know, they're looking at the economies of scale as of, you know, the cost per pound, which goes down as you go into bigger containers. But as you say, you've got that, you've got that, the whole engineering part of it, you know, what's it going to do to the thing that it's sitting on? Cause it's yeah. a lot of weight. And I, and I won't name anyone, but I've, I've heard of that happening, you know, people ordering fermenters that were too tall for the space and that's not that a mistake. <laughs> uh. No, no, it's not. And you know, you just don't, it's, you know, it's just yet another thing to be thinking about. It's easy. Yeah. To, it's easy to overlook something like that, especially in the excitement of getting everything set up. So, yeah. But when you're into it and you're working nonstop and thinking about everything nonstop, you hope to cover every little thing. I, I hope I haven't missed any little detail like that. Oh, you have. You just have to hope that it's one that's not going to do more than provide minor setbacks. You know, I mean, everybody miss everybody misses something. For you, it might be something nice and easy. You you know, just yeah. You seem like you're pretty thorough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you, got the, you got the training to be thorough, and there's always lists. <laughs> in, in one of my past jobs, I was a project manager, and I swear you can plan everything 150 percent, but that last 20 percent of the job, you're winging it, and you just have to have the confidence and intelligence to know you can get through it, and you will wing it no matter what. <laughs> that last 20%, that's just the way it goes. Yeah. Well, and it's a lot about also being, uh, having the plan, but being flexible. I mean, like they say, no, no battle plan survives first contact with the enemy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it all looked really good on paper and then crap. <laughs> yeah. And now what? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. The ability Always to have a plan B, I guess. Drop back 10 and punt, you know. We have a term here in the South called common sense, <laughs> and yeah. at some point, at some point, the the plans and the blueprints and the paperwork and the engineering has to go out the window, and common sense has to take over. Yeah. Well, yeah, but Chris, we've been breeding that out of the species for years now, so you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, they yeah, also have a saying that common sense is not so common. Oh uh, yeah, you know. So, uh, we just got a uh, we just got a uh, inbound uh, comment from uh, Sergio at Melavino, and Sergio says if you're measuring con concrete, you're probably going to be fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we we've planned that. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you, Sergio. He's I've learned a lot from him and his experience, and I love that he was so open on the AMMA and and that is a big thing to learn from other people's experiences. 
Yeah. We've got some really amazing people in the mead community. I mean, Sergio is new himself. And yet, you know, and, and you know, for like a lot, a, a lot of people that are quote unquote, as young as, as his businesses might be too caught up in their day to day, just keeping up to really be reaching out. But he's doing a lot of that. He's doing a lot of reaching out and giving a leg up to, to the new folks and also providing interesting advice to some of the folks that have been doing this for a while. So, you know, because he's got a lot of he's got a lot of interesting and innovative ideas, which uh, he and I could talk for hours about that stuff. But and I don't want to get I don't want to get too nerdy or change the subject. But most commercial concrete's 3000 pound mix and it'll hold 3000 pounds per square inch. So you should be good. <laughs> There's a, yeah. OK. All you budding mead makers out there who are already measuring your garage to see if the fermenters will fit. JD, and we won't yeah. mention names. Uh, <laughs> you know, Residential not, concrete's usually 2,500 pound mix, so it'll hold 2,500. Wait a minute, I thought he was a doctor. Today's Chris Factoids. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. <laughs> yes, I, I just, yeah. one of those things I happen to remember from somewhere, and I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, my uh, uh. friend of mine used to say that uh, people who have all those facts from somewhere were regular cesspools of useful information. <laughs> Yeah, we've, uh, we've only got about two minutes left here. Uh, Zeb, what's the long-term vision here? Let's talk five years. Five years, I hope to be doing this and starting, uh, you know, the next venture. Um, in today's Do you have any world, idea what that is? No, not at the moment. Hmm. Um, but in today's world, everything moves so quick that it's – You've you've got to be able to adapt just as quick. Um, yeah. And that that goes right back to that whole no battle plan surviving first contact with the enemy kind of thing. You, mm-hmm. You've got to be able to be flexible and know that things can change. And you know you may discover new things that change the way you plan to approach. You know, yeah, but it, but for this meadery, we, we will have a bigger space, a tasting room. Um, you know, be in all 50 states uh, in a few countries, but that's specific to this meadery. There's other things that are going to come along that I'll do as well. Well, I'm looking forward to having your mead in Canada. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sitting here wondering if he has a sidekick at home called Pinky because it sounds like he's after world nomination. Yep, okay. one of my best friends. We're always fighting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but how are you going to get the elephant into the pantyhose? I've always wondered about that one. <laughs> <laughs> Must be that time. Yeah, no, uh, you got to watch Pinky and the Brain to get it. You've obviously never watched it, so hey. Well, Zeb, uh, <laughs> we certainly wish you the best of luck. And Vicky, we need to rebook Zeb for maybe, let's say, uh, maybe four or five months from now and get him back on the show, see where he's at, how he's doing. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, because Zeb, being methodical, is going to send me a press release, aren't you, Zeb, when he opens his door so I can put it on <laughs> Got Mead, we'll know when to get a hold of him and bring him back on the show. Absolutely. We do have a, a marketing plan uh, for when the TTB permits come through and we start moving forward again. Perfect. Well, and Deb, I'm not that smart. I'm not really that smart. I just Google commercial concrete specifications. So. <laughs> oh, hey, I Google stuff all the time. And usually the smartest people are the ones that say they're not that smart. <laughs> yeah. the, the, Google, the Google foo is strong with this one. <laughs> yeah. 
Zeb, uh, thanks for joining us tonight, and I really look forward to having you on the show again. Thank you. I'll be happy to come back. Thank you for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, no, it's, it, the honor is all you. ours. Thanks for coming on and giving us a little peek under the hood. And uh, you know where to find me, you know, as things develop and you want to get the word out. Okay. Definitely. And I'll, I'll see you at the Mazer Cup, too. Oh, totally. Yeah. All right. All right. Bye. Good night, Zeb. Night, Zeb. Zeb Johnson from uh, Yorktown, Virginia, Lion's Head Meadery. Be looking for that if you're out there in the area. We're going to step away, take a commercial break. When we come back, a little bit of a pumpkin update. Then we've got a extra special, extra long Ask Oscar. (laughs) Stick around. We're not done yet. Hey, this is J.D. Webb for Got Mead Live. You know, winemaking was a way of life for Sergio Mattello while growing up. As an adult, his winemaking led to brewing beer and ultimately his discovery and passion for mead. Today at Melovino, his mead-making skills has earned him countless awards. His signature meads include Pepino, a light and refreshing cucumber, orange, and lemon session mead, and Sinfonia, called the Scotch of Meads, is made with three honey varietals and a blend of three different oaks. Visit them in Vauxhall, New Jersey at 2933 Vauxhall Road, located in the rear of the Millburn Mall. And be sure and visit them online at melovino.com. Shipping to 22 states, try some Melovino mead yourself and book a tour and tasting. Melovino, a truly unique and exquisite craft mead experience. Besides being the county seat of Cass County, it's also the home of Prairie Rose Meadery, the only meadery in North Dakota. Owned and operated by Susan and Bob Rude, they produce five amazing meads with a sixth on the way, all available in their tasting room. From bees to bottles, the Prairie Rose Tasting Room is located at 3101 39th Street South, Suite E in Fargo, North Dakota, and features their award-winning traditional and blackberry meads. Other amazing flavors available include ginger, mint, cherry, and an upcoming star anise mead. Tasting room hours are Thursday through Friday, 5 to 10 p.m., Saturday from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Sunday from noon to 6 p.m. Make Prairie Rose Meadery a must-do when you're in Fargo, North Dakota. Visit them online at prairierosemeadery.com or stop by at 3101 39th Street South, Suite E in Fargo, North Dakota. Prairie Rose Meadery, a delightful mead experience. Ram's Meat crafts some of the most coveted meads available in the United States today. The Tasting Room at 327 West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale, Michigan features Shram's Mead in bottles and special release meads on tap. Shram'sMead.com. If you think you don't like mead, you haven't had a Shram's. Uncompromisingly delicious meads since 2013. homebrewtalk.com your absolute everything resource for brewing beer at home their forum covers recipes brewing equipment and help from member brewers if you picked up your equipment today you can start brewing tonight with everything you need to know at homebrewtalk.com sign up today for as little as four dollars a month and become a It's, uh, you know, it's always another show when Chris calls and uh, <laughs> we go into commercial. You know, if I could play the stuff that we talk about during the commercial breaks, <laughs> especially when that's Chris- the only reason I call is to chat with you on commercials. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. He keeps threatening. He keeps threatening to tape this surreptitiously and put it on when we're not yeah. looking. But, uh, 
he also knows that planes go to Southern California and I can find him. And Pete's also my yeah. enforcer out there. So don't make <laughs> yeah. me send Oscar after you. You don't want a mad Croatian on, you know, on your case. You really, uh, don't. really don't. And if you haven't guessed, we are back live here at got me live. Um, real quickly. Yeah. We're just going to breeze through this uh, pumpkin thing. I got to tell you, I'm getting... It's a great pumpkin, J.D. Webb. It's the great pumpkin, J.D. Webb. And I'm getting <laughs> I'm getting kind of disgusted with it. And, uh, yeah, well, you didn't listen. Pete told you what to and you didn't listen. <laughs> well, I, I did. I mean, he consulted on it, uh, but I think where I ran into trouble uh, was at the point when the pH went clear out of whack and that three... I mean, it, it is the most tart thing. I mean, it's pucker, it's pucker tart. And uh, so, but we're going to rack it this week. Uh, we're down to 1.020 on the gravity, starting at 1.136. So this thing's going to be pretty high in alcohol. Uh, it's already, uh, what is that, about 15%, I believe now. So, yeah, it's a, well, it's a 16% tolerance, uh, the D21 that we used. And, uh wasn't anticipating it going down that far, but uh, it just ate up all of the sugar and anything that was left in it. So, well, it's not like the yeast can read the package label to right. tell you what they're <laughs> supposed to stop at. Right. So we're uh, we're gonna rack it this week uh, and just uh, you know put the airlock on it and put it in the closet. Just let it sit and uh, see what happens. Uh, maybe rack it a couple of more times and, uh, you know, if we get any kind of decent flavors coming back out of it, um, you know, we might be able to do something with it. So uh, after I get done with that, I've got a cider uh, and I may be working on a sizer. Uh, you really got to listen to the Ask Oscar piece here coming up. But uh, it's either a cider or a sizer that I'm going to do next. So I just I, I got to get that pumpkin thing out of there. I'm I'm kind of sick of pumpkin right now. So, but uh, the pH uh, holding steady at 3.4. Uh, we've got to cool down to about 57 degrees. So it's I mean the fermentation is next to nothing now. So it's just about petered out. So uh, so that's it for the uh, JD's Pumpkin Project update, and uh, I'll put some more notes. I haven't. Uh, I mean, it's you know it's kind of the same thing every day. Check the gravity, give it a stir, uh, you know that kind of thing. So I, I really didn't think it was that necessary to put that kind of information in my notes every single day. Uh, but I'll, I'll update it to tonight later on. And put the current gravity because I think the last time it was something like 1.020 or 022. Uh, but other than that, I mean, nothing else has changed. So, I mean, it's still tart as ever. Um, and I'm uh, I'm going to stop stirring. So it'll probably be, be some something like Friday. Uh, I'm going to let some of the, you know, stuff drop to the bottom. Uh and then we're going to rack it on top of the gallon and a half. Actually, it's almost two gallons of extra uh, apple juice and leftover mead that I had to remove uh, for the displacement when we put the pumpkin in. Uh, we're going to rack it on top of that. So I'm, I'm hoping that that might kind of thin down the tartness uh, a little bit at least. Uh, but we'll see what happens. So 
Well, I mean, at this point, the worst thing, you know, I mean, you don't really need to throw it out. There's the opportunity to see, can it be remedied? Sure. Figure out whether you want to adjust the pH back down or sorry, back up or whether you want to try back sweetening it. Yeah. Or, you know, even something like oaking may mellow it out or vanilla or something. Yeah. And I mean, even ones that are necessarily that taste like, you know, jet fuel, right at the beginning after some setting i mean don't dump it right away you can always toss it in a carboid stick it in the closet or if you have a basement in your basement i mean in california you guys don't do basements do you um (laughs) yeah that poor things um but yeah i mean i would take i take mine if i had that i had that one with a 26 herbs and spices in it that i foolishly made as my first mead and it was horrible for like almost two years and then apparently the mead fairy came when i wasn't looking because the next time i went down there it was like amazing i I, to this day i mean it was like drinking it was like drinking you know mythical nectar or something it just was stunning how much it changed in some time between year two and year three and i just you know i had just put it down there and forgot about it because i felt so bad about wasting all of that material i was going to throw it out and i'm a pack rat so i was like well let's put all the other stuff (laughs) all the other stuff i won't throw out and we'll see what happens you know well we're gonna uh like i said we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and rack it off towards the end of the week and just put it away and uh you know know, take care of it but get uh, it balanced get it balanced up and uh you know and then and then cap that puppy and stash it in a corner and go do something else yeah yeah. yeah, I mean, I got one that I've been waiting 10 years for it to become drinkable, and it's finally starting to. Yeah. Yeah. This, um, this Osc- uh, Oscar session uh, coming up. Blah, blah, uh, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> take another drink of uh, my cider here. But- there you <laughs> go. When in doubt, drink more. Drink more. Absolutely. It makes so much sense when you've already started. Well, and yeah, it does. It makes amazing sense. The more you have, the more sense it makes. Just too many asses. Uh, This Ask Oscar session uh, (laughs) is uh, kind of a lengthy one. Uh, I sat with Vicky and Oscar for almost, well, actually, it was exactly an hour. And it's a two, kind of a two part uh, Oscar series or session we started out talking about nutrients and i really no no, no you you started well, out talking about nutrients and if i remember pete said and i quote no 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 <laughs> oh, and no did i say no no i don't want no you know and then you just well, kept- but i don't <laughs> yeah let me let, let, let me let me clarify it, it wasn't it wasn't a I think he might have anticipated getting into the chemical and which one and that kind of thing the quandary that I faced, and I'm sure a lot of other mead makers face, especially the new mead makers, is which one, okay? Because when you get to the brew store, and like I say uh, on the on the piece, uh, there are three in my area, and all three have different kinds of nutrients, okay? Except for the one that is most commonly used, which is the Fermade brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, see, I just ask them, where's the go firm and for K? And they go, if we, they go, we don't have that. I go, Oh, okay. Gotta go. Yeah. Well, but that's, you know, I mean, to a new mead maker, I mean, you know, half the time you're left standing there. I mean, the guy's telling you, but use this one. Uh, I've had good luck with this and he hands you a little plastic baggie with God knows what's in it. So, but uh, Oscar deals with that uh, here in just a minute. And then, 
he uh, moves into Sizer's. Because fall. Uh, yeah, because it's, it's fall. fall. Uh, you know, apples and, and that kind of and apples and honey go together very well. Except, and I know Hamish is listening, except for the people in Australia, it's not fall for them. So apologies <laughs> to the people on the other side of the equator. It's fall up here. So, you know, deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I know, I know uh, Hamish is like banging on his keyboard right now. Hi, Hamish. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, heavens. So uh, we're going to jump in to ask Oscar, and I, I got to apologize to Oscar. I don't have the little intro piece. Uh, uh, it, it's um, it's here. It's just not readily available. I just should say it's lost. Hey, hey before, I, I will we, find it. Bef- before we go into um, the world's longest Ask Oscar, Hamish can actually Skype in. Apparently, he's got a break at work, and he has a question for AJ. Go ahead, uh, Hamish. He, yeah. Um, I've, I've got him on my, I can see, uh, yeah, I think he's. Uh, yeah, can you can you bring him in? I can, uh, yeah, I can bring him in, yes. Okay, then then do it. This is, his Skype Our, is winking uh, at me. <laughs> hey, uh, Hamish. He's not here, not here yet, but. Uh, okay. We're going to have a question there. He Hello? Be here. Hey, there he is. Here I am. Look at that. Hey, yeah. Hamish. Uh, just got a technical difficulty at this end. Uh-oh. Oh. Are you there? He said Hamish? technical difficulties. There we go. Ah, there we are. That's much better. How are you? Hi, good afternoon from tomorrow. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> Good day, Hamish. <laughs> that was me. I was just messing with you. <laughs> oh, that's all right. I didn't hear that, so you, you got away with it. Um, I've got a question for AJ today. Um, as you mentioned last week, I've got a show coming up next weekend, and I've tried to, because I was very disorganized, throw some um, four batches of um, mead together in the last three weeks to get ready for the show. And um, uh, one of them was a blueberry. And due to the way that I've put it together, i got a lot of crap on the bottom and a lot of crap on the top. Now, I know I'm going to be able to get my one bottle of, um, of mead that I need for the show out of the middle, but I wanted to ask AJ what she would do about maybe pressing those skins and trying to maximize the amount that I could get out of the uh, out of the maid. Uh, it depends on the style. Normally, I bag my fruit, so um, I, I usually just pick up the bag and however long I can stand to hold it over the thing, I let it drip. And if I'm feeling really impatient, I'll sanitize my hands and squish it. Um, okay. You could pour it, you know, what I, I what didn't, I, t- I didn't bag it. So, um, we, we have yeah. that issue. So I was thinking maybe some way where I, 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 I take out the good stuff and then, um, let it settle again and then try and siphon off the top of the yeast after I'd squeezed it. Yeah. You can either do that or scoop off the stuff that's floating and, and try to squeeze the, squeeze the stuff out of that and then let whatever's going to settle out from everything else settle out. Or okay. you could also try um, you can also try running it through a sieve or something to catch all the big bits, and then the the smaller bits should settle out. Now the other um, the other question I had was yeah with with sieving or maybe running it through a um, uh, cheesecloth. Um, mm-hmm. 
how much oxygenation do I need to fear at this point? Honestly, I've done it a couple of times and I haven't really worried about oxygenation. The only time I've ever actually had a, uh, anything oxidized was a wine that I put in a five gallon carboy when I only had three gallons of it and I left it for a couple of weeks after filtering it. Uh, other than that, the only time I've ever had oxidation issues have been when I've like let airlocks go dry and stupid things like that. Um, you know, I would try to keep the splashing to a minimum and, you know, don't go nuts with it, but just a short oxidation or just a short, um, a short period of, of exposure shouldn't do too terribly much to it. Needs are pretty, needs are pretty resilient. So if, if I went over the top and um, and purged the bottle with the CO2 that I've got and um, put a funnel into it and squeezed it in that, it'd be fine. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure that would be fine. Okay. If I could have a, a moment for Chris's confessionals. Sure. Um, <laughs> when I was in a hurry once, I, I actually bottled a batch of mead by pouring it into bottles in a funnel. And it had absolutely no problems whatsoever. Maybe I got lucky. I don't know. But it caused no problems at all. So the other I've only thing, done it once. I, I've done stuff like that once or twice myself, too, with no problems. But the other thing you can do is um, sulfite it. You know, as soon as you're done, whatever it is you're doing, hit it with the sulfites. Because I always find that that makes it bubble a little bit, which will drive any additional oxygen out of the headspace. And also serves to protect it a little bit from oxidation. Oh, that's a nice idea because I wanted to do that anyway because I wanted to make sure it was definitely not still going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So hit it with the sulfates, and then you can hit hit it with the um, with the sorbate. Okay. Yeah, That'd I be my recommendation. at zero degrees, so. Yeah, so it's probably not going anywhere, and that really should make things settle out and compact if they're going to. It's just when you've got stuff that's sort of in the middle of fermentation, the floaty stuff is going to be full of carbon dioxide. But mm -hmm. um, I also find, um, mostly through my experiences with uh, Joe's Ancient Orange and, and things that are not oranges in them, um, a little bit of agitation can sometimes knock the bubbles out of the floaty stuff and make it sink. So, yeah, at, at last look, there was still a... Um whole mass of skins and stuff sitting on the top so yeah what i'd probably do is just you know punch the racking cane in in between and in the the clear layer in between the the floaty stuff and the sinky stuff yeah and just rack whatever you can out of it and yeah it was just about 50 percent. i'm looking for the second half of the operation that was <laughs> <laughs> i was hoping to get a uh, maybe a bit more than than two bottles out of a gallon yeah well this is what cheese cloth is for <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll go the cheese cloth right then. Good luck with it. Very good. Thank you. Hey, good luck. Uh, Hamish, thanks for uh, calling in. <laughs> Play, playing hooky from work and calling in because yesterday was his day off, if I remember right. That, yeah, that but we've got... I'm actually um, on the road today on the side of the road talking to you over 4G on the uh, Wi-Fi. Oh, there you go. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, you know, Australia right. has better internet than I do. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> Hamish, you're welcome to stick around uh, on the side of the road there uh, as we get the Ask Oscar session going. If not, thanks for calling in anyway. <laughs> no, thanks. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to get to this Ask Oscar. Like I said, it is an hour long, so I know some of you are probably going to go ahead and go on to bed. Hey, the replay, it'll be up later on tonight and available on gotme.com sometime in the morning. So, uh, and again, I apologize to uh, Oscar for uh, not having his little mu- musical intro piece, but hey, that's the way it goes. So, yeah, sorry, Pete, we lost your scary music, so yes. you'll just have to. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll come back very briefly uh, when Oscar is over. So, uh, with that, here we go. Sit tight. Welcome to another episode of Ask Oscar. And we actually had started talking about Pete and I were debating because we didn't get any new questions this week. You guys are falling down on the job, so start getting your questions in. Um, but Pete and I were talking about maybe doing a talk around sizers tonight or today because of the fact that it's fall and apple season and so forth. And then JD gets on the line. <laughs> <laughs> and has questions about yeast nutrients. And we sort of resisted uh, Pete more than me, and then we kind of got to talking about it. So it sounds, Pete, like we're going to be talking about nutrients today, <laughs> at least for a little while. Well, I think what we're going to be talking about, I think what we're going to be talking about is choosing what to use and, you know, based on, you know, what's going to be best for your batch rather than the composition of nutrients because I'm just plain ass not interested. Sounds like it's a real plan. simple. There's uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of things in there that you know people don't know about. And um, JD, um, you were just talking about uh, somebody that's you know relatively new to making mead and uh, gaining experience by going out and you know getting information at homebrew stores and on the different websites and how eventually after talking to people in homebrew stores. And going to different websites and reading, you got led over to gotme.com. And so maybe you'd relate that in an abbreviated form as to how the question about, you know, well, what's this nutrient all about and what's that nutrient all about? And hey, um, homebrew shop A, homebrew shop B, and homebrew shop C all have different nutrients. What's that all about? And why isn't there, you know, why don't they tell you what's in them and all that? So, JD, what? Uh, yeah, I mean, kind of like lead me into this question. It's it's kind of a you know it's, it's more along the lines from the consumer point of view. I mean, you get involved in something new, and you go out and get the equipment, all the ingredients, and then of course you're faced with questions. Okay, what you know the recipe calls for a nutrient. What nutrient do I use? And like you said, Pete, you go to your home brew store. I've got three of them in my neighborhood, and all three of them recommend something different. And then, of course, you know, uh, through further investigation, I wind up at Got Meat, and suddenly there's this whole thing on on the Fermade brand of yeast uh, uh, nutrients and products, and which has kind of left me in a quandary because now I'm wondering, would you know, is there one better than the other? Should I be using one over another? And uh, you know, so that's, that's where I was at. Yeah. Well, you know, and just to throw it out there, the, to me, it's it's like I was telling J.D. and Vicky a few minutes ago, the, the whole thing is that, you know, Superfood, Fermax, Fermade K, Fermado, Actifirm, Naptifirm, all the rest of these kind of things that are out there, you know, everybody's got their own little hobby horse that they want to sit out there and market and advertise and sell and make a, a couple million bucks at using or, or more. 
And the bottom line is you gotta, you gotta use what's best for you. In my case, it's Lalamon products. Now I was telling them that I've, you know, I've used other yeast strains, uh, other yeast companies, other, you know, other yeast nutrients and such. I come back to Lalamon because they just work and they work right and they work consistently. And so that's why I use their stuff. And, you know, let's take a look at homebrew stores. Let's start with them because that's where everybody goes mostly to get their equipment and their ingredients and their yeast and everything like that. Most of the homebrew stores I've been into, there are people there that are either in homebrew clubs or affiliated with homebrew clubs or support your local homebrew club. And that's a great thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Where things start to break down is the actual knowledge of the guy behind the counter that you're asking to give you nutrients for your mead. Now, in most cases, in the homebrew stores that I've been into and gone to online and such, as JD said, they've got their own brand, soda, quote unquote, and you'll hear anything from yeast nutrient to energizer to fertilizer to, you know, any EIEIO name that they come up with, they're going to pop on there so they can sell it. The problem is they give you this little stapled or sealed plastic baggie with a couple ounces of this, you know, stuff that looks kind of like salt and maybe with some baking powder mixed into it. And, okay, here's your nutrient, and then here's your energizer. And it's like, so what is this nutrient? What is this energizer? Well... Uh, in many cases, it's almost the same thing, maybe with some variations here and there. Most of the time, the nutrient is primarily composed of DAP. Um, when you call it nutrient instead of DAP, you can charge more for it. When you put something else into it, like maybe a little bit of vitamin B or a little bit of potassium or a little bit of zinc, then you can call it energizer and sell it for even more. What it boils down to is it's you know somewhat analogous to Firm AK. And so rather than buying a package of nutrient, a package of energizer, if you buy a package of Fermade K, you're buying the same thing or something very similar. You know, Fermade K has DAP in it as a primary source of nitrogen, um, along with other nutrients in it um, that help kind of, uh, you know, round it out as a, as a nutrient, as opposed to pure DAP or diammonium phosphate, which is uh, an ammonia-based uh, nitrogen that the yeast really, really like to chomp on. Um, so at its base level, the, the stuff that's offered in the stores is pretty much just DAP. And I'm pretty sure they're buying it from, you know, uh, GW Kent or some of these other, you know, uh, big box uh, retailers, and then they're repackaging it for themselves. So I'm guessing that their nutrient uh, from store to store to store that you see that's a generic nutrient that you buy in the little sealed, you know, plastic baggie is probably going to be pretty much the same thing. I always uh, thought it you know, looked like, you know, crystal meth. Yeah, yeah, I've never seen it, so I don't know, but he, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it looks like it, Well, yeah, I've never, I, I always um, imagined that's what it was, what, what it must look like, but yeah, I mean, I just, it always felt like buying drugs. <laughs> 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 hey, step over to the counter here. Look what I got for yeah. you. Got some really hot Hold shit for you here today. Shaking the bag yeah. <laughs> Hasn't been stepped on at all, man. It's the best nutrient you can get. 
<laughs> after um, oh, oh, I think uh, you know I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on. on I mean, because uh, we can get pl- you know plumb buried in this, and and I I have just learned quite a bit just in the last few minutes. You know that we've been talking here, uh, but I, I think what it boils down to for me, and and what I would encourage anybody who's new out there is to find somebody like Pete. If you don't know Pete, I mean, it's just a simple thing to send an email to somebody who's been doing this for a very long time. You go to a place like gotme.com and ask questions. Ask, ask the mead moderators. They'll tell you. I've got, what, what do we got, eight, ten mead moderators, Pete? Yeah, eight, ten mead mentors out there. Yeah, if you you know if if you if you if you're serious about doing this and not just haphazardly throwing a recipe together that you found on the internet, which I can tell you from from experience, don't do that. <laughs> you know, go go to gotme.com. They've got a, a a you know a healthy listing of solid recipes that have won awards that work that taste good in the end. Uh, and consult people who have been doing that for some time, you know, if you're new. Just don't jump into this like I did because you're going to make a ton of mistakes. And I've, I've probably already thrown away several hundred dollars or more than that uh, of, of ingredients, of honey. And honey honey is the most expensive part. Yeah. And I did that when I was – before there was a Got Mead, when, when Got Mead was the page of links that I had found by scratching around on what then passed for the internet – um, you know, I was doing the same thing, and we didn't we didn't have brew shops for one thing, at least not where I lived. There wasn't a brew shop, and um, certainly had never heard anything about nutrients. My idea of nutrients in the extreme was basically a handful of raisins in the pail because there wasn't anything else available. You know, I'm sure that stuff was out in metro areas that weren't as benighted as where I was at the time, but. You know, I mean, I, I fumbled along and figured it out as I went and honestly didn't start regularly using commercial nutrients like DAP and Fermate K until I met Pete. Yeah. Well, a lot of these brew shops, they, they cater to the beer, the home beer making people more than the wine or mead making. See, you know, the brew shops that I go to, the you know, wine making is kind of an afterthought. Meat is an afterthought, and so most of the ingredients that you that you see on the shelf in a lot of these places cater to the beer making, which is, you know, a, a, a kind of a different ball game uh, for the most part. So, yeah, and see, that's the way it is for most homebrew shops. Uh, it's going to be beer, then wine, then mead, and maybe even sake. You know, uh, at the hey, bottom. Hey, sorry and, uh, guys, uh, I the more dropped a brew shop. Yeah, uh, that's all right. Anyhow, when it gets down to it, you know, you're going to have the, the thing that you really have to watch out for is just making sure that, you know, if you're, if you're going to be getting a nutrient, go out and do some research. Go out to gotme.com and look at the recipes. Do all of the rest, do most of the recipes use the, the nutrient that you're using and the yeast that you're using, or do most of them use something different? You know, if you're using, uh, let's say if you're using Epernay to, you know, the Cote de Blanc yeast, do most of the recipes out there on gotmead.com use that yeast? I don't think so. Are they using Fermax or Superfood? No, mostly they're not. They're using Fermade K and some kind of Lalamon yeast. Does that mean that you have to use them? No. 
does that mean that most of those recipes out there that were developed using those yeasts work really well and, and give you a solid product every time? Yes. Does that mean that you should use them to start out with? My advice is yes. It's easy to get. Most places carry it. It's consistent. You know what's in it, and you know how to apply it to the recipe that you're going to be adapting for your own use. And the bottom line is, might as well get off the ground with something that is out there, that's measurable, that's quantifiable, and that's going to yield consistent results. Use the recipes, use the yeast, use the the nutrients that they're recommending in them. Once you get used to the recipe, then you can start getting, you know, then you can start getting creative, doing different things with it, enjoying, you know, trying to use uh, different nutrients and different energizers and different fertilizers and different additives and adjustments and, and uh, you know, additions. That, that's all part of the process of getting better and refining and developing your own style and your own product and your own taste and, and look and feel. That's, that's all part of it. But, you know, if you're, if you're just starting and you go into a homebrew store, you really have to be on your game about finding out what it is they're offering you. Ask the person, well, what's this nutrient have in it? What's the primary ingredient? What's the secondary ingredient? Why is this nutrient better than Fermate K? Why is it better than Fermate O? How is it the same? How is it different? So yeah. you, you really have to know about those things. And once you've got a good view of you know the nutrients that you're going to be using and the yeast you're going to be using and how to apply them to the recipe you're going to be making, uh, then I think you've got a good full good go forward position. Um, once you've made the recipe a few times, you want to experiment. You want to get a little creative. You want to improvise. Live it up. But initially, uh, JD made a great point. Honey's the most expensive ingredient. You know, right now, a good quality honey is going for $80, $90 a gallon. Yeah. Depending on what you're getting. And so, I don't know about you, but if I'm spending 100 bucks on something, I'm damn sure not going to throw a question mark into it with a, a little sealed baggie of something that I don't know what's in it. Yeah. Give me well, rat poison for all I know. Well, and that's the thing, too. If you're going to your brew shop and they've got the little stapled up baggies of, uh, you know, quote unquote yeast nutrient or energizer or whatever they decide to call it, if when you ask them, they can't tell you exactly what's in it, don't buy it. I mean, that's that's right up there with if there's something in the food you're eating that you can't pronounce, it's probably a good idea to just eat something different, you know? It's it's not, you don't know what it's going to do. I mean, I've seen people paying upwards of $4 a pound for honey, depending on their location and, you know, and what they can get. And that's just crazy to even risk that kind of investment. Uh, I don't know what's in this. Well, Yeah, I'd be happy to pay $4 a pound for honey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've got it. We have a okay. Short plug here. We've we've actually got a new advertiser on Got Mead who has honey for less than that. However, that's kind of it's a problem for you, Pete, because he's he's East Coaster. He's in Pennsylvania, but um, he's yeah. offering honey for very reasonable prices, and he's selling bulk, particularly targeting meaderies. I mean, he specifically wants to work with mead makers. That's why he's advertising with. Great. Us. So he's. I thought that was really Great awesome. News. It's yeah, it's Sans Honey Farm, and uh, if you guys, if anybody wants to go look, the ads in the right column on the front page of the site. Go take a look and go check them out, especially if you're in and around Pennsylvania. Okay, plug over. <laughs> I just wanted to give him the guy's been really awesome, and I love that he's targeting meaderies and he's offering reasonable prices for bulk honey for for mead makers. So I think that's pretty pretty cool. 
last uh, last word here, um, and I, I definitely want to uh, listen to Pete talk about sizers. But uh, I, you know, when it comes to making this meat, I mean, the ultimate result you're looking for is something that's worthy. <laughs> Uh, you know, of the effort that you put into it. And so I, I don't mind. I mean, if it's damn good, honey, I don't mind paying the shipping costs for something that's, you know, going to taste absolutely wonderful and produce a, a very viable product for me. So yeah. that's another consideration, too. I mean, I know honey's expensive, and it's expensive to ship. But, well, you know... Yeah, I've bought honey from the West Coast and paid as much to ship it as I paid for the honey. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and had no problem with that because the honey I was getting was very high quality. This was a bucket yeah. of metal foam I got years ago and have been nursing along. But, um, you know, it's you're right. It's it's definitely worth it if that's, you know, if, if you want a really high quality meat and you don't mind paying a little bit extra to get the best honey for it you get you get out of it what you put into it and that's true for the honey the yeast and anything else that goes into it well you know just like a, just like a sewer line you get out of it what you put into it <laughs> that's right yeah i was thinking more along the lines of gigo garbage in garbage out but okay you know you want to you want to go straight to the sewers peak knock yourself out oh my God. <laughs> We're all, uh, this, this is like this, this is usually what happens at the end of the show so <laughs> yeah he's been uh, no p you should have heard the, the uh, afters thing tuesday jd kept threatening to tape us we were out of control it was hilarious <laughs> anyway so Sounds i'm uh, uh, pete, <laughs> pete i appreciate the information on the nutrients i mean I, you know, our discussion before and of course after during the during the show here uh, really set me straight. I, I know what I need to do now. So, uh, and those of you that uh, you know are listening to the show, uh, you know, heed my words. Okay, if you're really serious about this, you really need to seek out someone who has done this uh, successfully over and over and over and get their uh, input on this, you know, like we do here or just, on that. Yeah, or just come to Got Mead and find the people who've been doing this for a long time and ask them. Pete well, or anybody else. You know, there's a bunch this of people. Is, uh, this, is, this is the exact forum right here to ask these kinds of questions. This is the Ask Oscar segment. And, this, you know, I mean, it's a question that I had, and I'm sure a lot of other newbies out there in the meat I mean maybe even people who have been doing this for a while have the same question too because they're faced with the same thing when they go to their brew shop I mean here's a whole shelf full of yeast nutrients take your pick so, hey I used to when I made mead before I met Pete and before got mead got going really good and everything I would go to the brew shop and I would sort of pick the yeast by what sounded good <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I wasn't matching it to the recipe I didn't know how to do that you know and there wasn't really anything out there that talked about how to do that at least right. not in the mean world yet so I would be like oh okay uh, Montrachet, that sounds good. We'll get that one this time. And then I'd get the little baggie of generic yeast nutrient because my guys didn't have Fermate K, you know. And it didn't occur to me. that They just said, no, this is good, and I trusted them. Yeah. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes not so much, you know. But it was, you know, it was what it was. So, yeah, I mean, we've got some people that have been making mead like Pete 20, 30 years. They know what they're doing, and they can give you good advice. So, you know, don't be afraid to ask here. Or out in the forum. And, you know, there's always somebody who's willing to help somebody else. Yes. 
Well, it is apple season, uh, and I know, uh, uh, you know, Pete started out, he wanted to talk about size. <laughs> I, am, I am definitely interested in sizes. I love, I mean, the combination of honey and apples goes together so well. Uh, so let's talk sizes. Yeah, well, it's apple season now, so people are, you know, migrating up to the to the mountains of Southern California and uh, the different areas in Southern California, Julian, uh, Glen Oak Canyon, and uh, up into San Luis Obispo area where um, different apple uh, orchards are and where people make cider. And, you know, you've got a ton of choices in front of you. Uh, you know, what kind of cider do I want to make or what kind of cider do I want to make? And you know, what kind of apples do I want in them and all that. And there's another category where my knowledge of apples and uh, all things uh, French cider, English cider, you know, American cider and all, all the different things is not as well-rounded as it probably could be. But the bottom line is when I go to a, uh, to a cider ranch, as I like to call them, because, hey, it's a great place to get it, um, they always have a couple of different blends or a couple of different ways they can put the juice together for you so that you get this real nice, you know, well-rounded kind of a sizer. And I think part of making a good sizer is, is uh, balancing the tart and the sweet uh, and uh, the kind of like apple flavors that you're going to get out of it. So uh, I've had a lot of sizers that are just, you know, over-the-top sweet without any tang to them. Um, I was just judging last weekend at the Southern California um, Regional Homebrew Competition put on by the Inland Empire Brewers. And uh, they had some really great, super sweet sizers, but these guys had great balance, too. They managed to preserve the tang of the apple. And in a couple of cases, you even got that nice crackly tang from the apple skin, that nice tartness from the apple I skin, that. and a good amount of the, yeah, and a good amount of the, the malic acid that went into it. And so, well, kind of question is, you know, how do you kind of preserve that, and how do you keep that, you know, appley flavor into your sizer? And and again, as JD has learned in the past few months, it's been, you know, this is all about controlling your temperature when you're fermenting and matching the right yeast with it. Um, one of my favorite cider or sizer yeasts, I should say, for cider and for sizer is DV10. In uh, in most cases, it's going to take your cider dry, so you're going to have to either back sweeten if you want it sweet, or if you want it dry and sparkling, kind of like the way that I like mine, you're going to be very happy with it because it's going to give you this nice, clean, fast ferment. It's going to preserve the flavor of the cider and uh, give it that nice kiss of honey to give it a little bit of character. And, Does it um, uh, when you sparkle it? I was just going to ask if you back sweeten, since that tends to go dry, have you noticed that it muddies up the flavor or does it just enhance? Well, it depends on how you back sweeten. Um, what I like to do is uh, there was uh, a, uh, uh, a couple of times when I've just taken uh, concentrated apple juice and used that to back sweeten with because it's usually, you know, you, you can find out what the sugar content is by going online and taking a look at their apple concentrates and you can calculate that out but uh, a couple of cans of that the, the trick is to find one that has uh, sorbic acid in, in it yeah so after you've taken your after you've taken your your sizer dry 
you go ahead and add a can or two cans or however, you know, you know, fragments of can you're going to add in to get the flavor that you want and uh, the sweetness that you want and you're good to go. But if it has that sorbic acid in it, then it's also going to inhibit any further fermentation. Yeah. So you've effectively used that, that can and sorbic acid in it to go ahead and basically stabilize it. So it's a cheap, you know, trick, but it works really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my preferred way. You can add honey into the mix as well, but you have to make sure that, you know, once you've gone to dry, then cold crash it, put all the yeast to sleep, rack off it, let it stabilize, and then go ahead and back sweep. So you don't, you know, reinitialize a secondary fermentation, unless you're going to sparkle it. Then you can do, you know, a secondary fermentation in a corny keg to, to maintain the, the carbonation and then rack off of it or you can just go ahead and force carbonate it as well either way works they both work fine some people want to be pure and say okay i'm only going to do this you know in the bottle and then they have to make a dosage of uh, honey and yeast and maybe a little bit of uh, apple juice concentrate in it to, to to sparkle it in the bottle then once you've done that then you've got to disgorge it to get the yeast off and you've got to recap it and, that's kind of a pain in the ass, and uh, but you get really good results that way. It's a very, very esoteric, very nice um, kind of a sizer that's sparkling. If you do it in the corny keg, it's it's more of a bulk method. It's easier to do. You can do it by either forced carbonation or just by adding some yeast and uh, um, apple juice and uh, honey into that to, to bring up the honey and apple juice to, uh, flavor while it's carbonating itself. Uh, Force carbonating goes quicker and easier. You don't have to rack off it again and clear it. Um, But again, that's all up to you. So, you know, my recommendation when you're making a sizer is if you can get out to a uh, uh, an apple farm somewhere and go out there and taste what they've got and, you know, have them custom make you one I don't know if people you go to there's one that I go to up here that you can call them up and say hey I want something that's you know good and sharp with a little bit of sweetness to back it up Um, and when you get up there you can taste and go oh yeah that's the one I want you can buy you know I usually buy like two of the uh, five gallon uh, buckets and I bring my own brew buckets up there and they'll fill them up five gallons each and then charge you appropriately for them Um, that's neat back home yeah, yeah, it works out really, really well. <clears throat> you can add your honey to it to bring it up to the starting gravity that you want. Um, what I do is I start adding my honey, and when I get within a couple of points of where I want to be, and I mean big points rather than the hundredths, um, so I start tasting it, and if it's sweet and it still has that sharpness, that's what I want, um, then I'll just go ahead and inoculate it with yeast right there and note the... Uh, uh, note the, the bricks level right in inoculation. Um, and that's kind of the way that I'd recommend doing it. As start adding your honey. When you get about halfway up with your honey, start tasting and see where you are and if it's where you want it to be flavor-wise and note what the you know the gravity-slash-bricks measurement is there. Um, apples year-to-year change as far as sweetness and acid go just like honey changes, just like grain for beer changes, just like grapes change for wine. So it's always good to have a target in mind, but if you find out that 
you're at the level that you were last year and it just seems kind of flabby um, more sweet than tart with not a lot of balance there or more tart than sweet with not a lot of balance there if it's you know too acidic if it's too sweet um, you're going to want to you know either back off with the uh, the honey or you know bring the apple you know tartness up but the trick is to go ahead and add honey until you're at the point where you actually want to be and make sure that you're maintaining as you add it's easier to add too little and bring it up to where you want to be than adding too much and trying to take it out because that just never works and you're adjusting with acid and everything and all of a sudden you've taken really naturally great flavored tart you know cider um, that's going to turn into a sizer into something that's been adjusted all over the place and kind of lost the whole idea and the works. Um, the other thing is to ask them what kind of apples they've got. Um, you know, there's some apples that are known for being more tart, some apples that are both known for being more sweet. They're eating apples, there's juice apples, there's cider apples. So they can give you a rundown of what they've got. They can give you a rundown of how it's going to taste. Uh, when you get up there and when you taste it and you can find out, well, you know, I thought I wanted really, really tart, but I guess I don't because it's just too tart for me. Or gosh, I guess I wanted something really sweet, but it just, it just tastes like this really sweet apple-y thing with not a whole lot of definition to it. So it's contingent upon the maker to go up there and get familiar with what it is you're going to be making and uh, find out, you know, in the different places around. Like I said, here in Southern California, we've got uh, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, we've got a good 10 or 11 places that are fairly large that draw a lot of uh, people either for, you know, touristy kind of visitations or people that are serious about getting apple juice or apples. There's one in particular up in Glen Oak Canyon uh, out by uh, Beaumont and Banning that uh, does Civil War reenactment. Uh, actually, it's not Civil War. It's actually uh, Revolutionary War reenactment battles out in their uh, apple groves, which is kind of interesting. I'm That's not fun. exactly sure that I want to pull an apple off the tree and bite into one with a BB in it, but, you know, hey. Well, they actually, they're only shooting powder, so you should be okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no, uh, no um, um, actual bullets were used in the making of this reenactment. Um, yeah. Have you got some favorite so, uh, apple varieties, Pete? Well, I tend to like, uh, out here, we get a lot of uh, the Crips Pink or the Pink Lady, as they're calling them, popularly mm-hmm. now. I like those. They're good in tart. Yeah. They're real good in tart. They're primarily an eating apple, but I like those and Macintosh apples because. They both have a lot of zing to them. And then, you know, we get a lot of Fujis and Galas out here, too, which are both sweet. Yeah, um, they are. Those tend, to, those tend to make a pretty good one. There's some recipes that uh, have some nice character to them that kind of give it a, a real good flavor as well. And, yeah, there's just a whole bunch of different kinds of, of apples that go into making a really good blend. And so it's, you know, you're not going to see a lot of these in the stores. I mean, with the exception of the, the Galas and Fujis and Crips. Um, but so we get, you know, we get those apples like, year round from you guys. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, but other things like russets and, and gravel stones and, and things like that, you don't see all the year round and you don't see, you know, outside of apple farms most of the time. Yeah. So, no, I rarely see those. Try these things. Yeah, they go out and try them and get some different flavors underneath you. And 
get an idea of what they actually taste like and you know how that works in your cider blend and the other thing that I'd recommend is uh, you know doing it, doing just a batch of just plain cider um, in a lot of cases uh, people have just never made cider it's I mean you've got the apple juice you dump the yeast into it you, you check the uh, the gravity when you start you know note that and then um, apples apple cider or just straight up cider um, is going to behave very similarly to sizer um, one of the things you will notice quickly with cider is when the yeast start to get stressed because they don't have enough nutrient they will throw off sulfur very quickly mm-hmm. so you'll get that sulfur you know, pretty quickly um, and so that's why it's important to be on top of them with nutrient um, no, one of the things, one of the reasons I like DV10 is because it doesn't need a lot of nutrient. But, you know, I, I can't think of a batch of cider or a sizer that I've done where I haven't added some nutrient to it. And that nutrient, most of the time, being DAP, followed by Fermate K in, in the later fermentation. Um, so um, the reason that I say to make a cider is so that once you've made one and tasted the end product, you get an idea of how, you know, sizers, you know, should, should be kind of like bent as far as their flavor profile, the aroma, the kind of character in the mouth and all that. And then you can, you know, kind of take that and apply it to the size that you're making. So you can preserve the flavor of that, of that great apple that you just went out and spent a lot of money on and the honey that you're going to add to it. It's going to have a lot of flavor to it as well. And, uh, once you've got a good idea of the, uh, the juice flavor, the cider flavor and how sharp or sweet or how well rounded it is, you get a pretty good idea of what kind of honey you can use with it. And I think honey choices are important for ciders. So, you know, it's usually my, approach to, to, to go with a, a less pronounced honey unless I've got a super strong um, cider apple in there that's really going to have a signature profile that's going to be hard to override, in which case I'll go with a more distinct honey. But I like using clover and sage. Those are both really good, in my opinion, for uh, apples. Um, sometimes orange blossom, depending on where it's from and what kind you're using. Um, so it's all about getting to know the apples, getting to know the cider, getting familiar enough with the cider where you go, oh yeah, this will work out really good with a, you know, a sizer based on this kind of honey, whether it's clover, you know, orange blossom sage, sometimes you want to use mesquite, sometimes you want to use other honeys. Um, but get to know, get to know your primary ingredient, get to know those apples, you know, what it's all about, what it's doing. and get to know the honey that you're going to be using as well to make sure that they're a good match. Okay. So, and just as a pointer for, there may be a few people out there going, what the hell is he talking about sizers and ciders? Sizer is a cider that's got honey in it. It's basically, it's bead made with apple juice and honey. It occurred to me that maybe there might be a few people who don't know. So I'm going to let them know. Sure. Yeah, it's basically a mellow mel that's made specifically with apples. Is the uh, you know when you're when you're selecting the honey to use, is there a um, 
I don't know. Is there is there any any recommendation on the type of honey, the flavor of honey? The I mean, you know, I mean, honeys run the gamut out there, you know, as far as flavors. Well, that's, I, you know, I that's what I was talking about before when I was talking about clover and you know sage and orange blossom alfalfa honey's good for it clover honey's good for it i like sage sometimes i like orange blossom it's going to depend on the strength of the honey um if it's a really distinct honey that has you know a lot of character to it it might not be something that you're going to want to press up against the apple unless the apple's super strong and it's not going to be affected to the point of losing some of that character that you're looking for um, generally the lighter varieties of honey with the exception maybe of Tupelo and a couple others um, are going to be fairly good picks because they're not going to be super pronounced like a darker honey would be say like buckwheat or pecan or avocado or cotton honey or whatever yeah I mean I'd be afraid uh, of you know the honey overtaking the apple and then it's kind of a moot point there Right, and then it's just apple-flavored meat. Right. Yeah. Instead, well, and, instead of a side of it. Yeah, and the other one that I don't know if you I, – I, you said clover and some of the others in wildflower is another one. And I don't know, I kind of like orange blossom, but you're right. I can see where it might overtake depending on the apples. But if you got a really – you know, if you got a really fruit-forward apple, that would – I think that would, you know, work out okay because I kind of like the, the combination when, when it balances. Yeah, and that's the whole thing is finding that balance and that's where it's really important to, to get to know the apples that you're going to be using and, and know the honeys that you're using too because it makes a difference. It really does. You have to, you have to adjudicate, you know, what, what yeah. you're going to be using and so on. Well, and I think this is a good place for you if you're going to make one, make five recommendation. If you've got a big load of cider and you're not sure about the honey, do two or three gallon batches and try different honeys and see what you end up with. You know, it's if you if you follow good fermentation techniques, you're going to end up with a drinkable product. Um, it may not be the exact flavor profile you're looking for, but it'll give you a really good idea what honeys hold up against particular apples and, you know, what can balance. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I like doing that. And then besides that way, if you go to the, if you go to an apple producer who sells their, their stuff in, um, uh, one gallon jugs then you've already got all those one gallon batch experiments ready to go <laughs> you know a couple cups of cider out of each one add some honey and away you go <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I've, done, I've done that a couple of times <laughs> yeah it's funny because you know you have all of these different things and uh, that's the other thing is you know a lot of people yeah, I keep saying this is all is generally at this point I don't, but most of the time I'll have several different batches of mead, you know, sitting basically in various little stacks as I like to call them. They're just little groups, dry, sweet, and you know, semi-sweet. And so when I've just fermented something and it's kind of like in on the cusp of being sweet or dry. I can go over to one of these other meads that I've gotten and, and take a look at what, what's there and say, hey, this one will match up just great with it. And, and 
uh, make an adjustment to the mead that I want to go sweet or dry based on that. So it's it's one of those kind of things where you kind of have to look at it and say, well, hmm, this is kind of dry, but it's got a lot of great flavor to it. I wonder about if I take it completely dry, which of these meads that I have here will go good with that? Again, it's all, it's all about taste and it's all about your own style. So have to be kind of careful about blending, but... You know, once you taste and kind of make a couple of little, you know, early on passes at it. Hey, if I add, you know, two ounces of this to 10 ounces of that, it turns out really good. It's dry, but it's got a lot of flavor. So I'd recommend if you're making, you know, traditionals uh, to make a few of them and make an extra batch while you're making your, your single batch run parallel batches. That'll tell you a lot about your technique right there. You know, if one of them turns out dry and one of them turns out sweet, you know you did something wrong to one of them, right? <laughs> you need three of them, then you've got the best two out of three. It's like, hey, I did this, I did this on these two, and it worked great. I didn't do this on the third one, and it's like, hmm, yeah, something's gone awry inside that fermenter. I wonder what it is. You go back and look at your notes, and you go, oh, there's it. I didn't bother to aerate that one those four days for some reason. You know, so it's it's one of those kind of things where you you really have to put some thought into it. And, you know, in, in this day and age, thinking rather than getting instant gratification is kind of, you know, not popular. But you know what? Grow up. Do your diligence. Put the work into it. Anything that you want to be good at is going to take practice. And it's the same way with learning how to taste. You know, we always get these questions about how do I develop my palate? How do I learn to taste this? How do I learn to taste that? It's all about practice, man. You know, and if you're practicing stuff sloppily, you're going to be sloppy when you're doing things. As, you know, people always say practice makes perfect. I totally disagree. Perfect practice makes perfect. You know, you got to have somebody over there standing over your shoulder, you know, whipping on your knuckles when you're playing on the piano to make sure you're keeping your fingers curved and your, you know, your elbows out and your, your arms going straight into your elbows so the wrist tension is way down and so you have quiet wrists and, and using your fingers to push the keys down instead of pounding on them with your arms. You know, it's the same way with making mead. You gotta, you gotta be, you gotta be spot on when you're doing stuff and follow the technique. And once you've developed the technique that yields results, and you gotta keep doing it over and over and over again until it's second nature. It's muscle, you know, reflex. You don't even think about it. You just do it. That's yeah. when you can start improvising and having fun with it and adding your own style to it. That's, you know, that's the one thing that I, you know, preach and preach and preach is, yeah, it's it's a basic thing. You have to learn the basics, and if you if you learn the basics and you're sloppy with your basics, you're going to be sloppy with your your mean. And you know, there's a lot of commercial producers out there that are making great stuff, but uh, it's the ones that are very very spot on with their technique and their process and their methodology that put out great stuff consistently. And yeah. it's interesting to see there's even large producers out there that are very inconsistent. I've seen their product on the shelf. I've seen three bottles that look and taste three different ways. I, I won't buy their stuff. Yeah. Because I know they're not paying any attention to it. It doesn't matter well, if they're I'm, big or small. If they're not putting out a consistent product, I'm not going to spend money on it. <laughs> Excuse me. 
And, and many of them have uh, many of them have fallen off the map too. I mean, I, every year I see ones that disappear, and you know, some of it's just marketing or they ran out of money. But for a lot of them, it's just that they weren't able to create a consistent product for whatever reason. You know, um, yeah. Coming back around to sizers for a second, um, the BJCP definition of sizers is mead made with apple juice or apples. And, and the way they put it is made with apples and then in, in parentheses, primarily apple juice, indicating that there, and I, and I know people who have done this too, that sometimes they actually use apples with the pulp and, you know, like we do the whole fruit for other types of melomel. So have you done that and what was it like? And uh, what are your thoughts around that? Because I know I've seen that asked on Got Me too. If people, like, what if I just mash the apples and throw them all in there, you know? Yeah, that's fine. To, to me, it's just easier to get the juice in there. But yeah, uh, I'll actually take and skin apples, especially Macintoshes and those pink crips, mm-hmm. um, and throw the skin into the fermenter too, because that'll give me some of that nice skin acidity, that crispness, that tartness from the skin. Uh, once I, you know, peel them and mash them up a little bit and throw it in there, that'll bring a lot of that astringency into it. Um, I've used just the unsweetened apple sauce from like Trader Joe's and other places that don't have preservatives in it to get that pulp into it too. It's a pulpy mess when you do that. So yeah. don't do it unless you plan on, unless you've got a way to get that crap out of there when you're racking off of it. And racking off of it can be a pain in the ass too. So sometimes you gotta, take that brew bucket, heft it up, and uh, pour it over a funnel with a strainer in it to get it into a a spot where you can actually rack or filter. Um, Do I filter when I do stuff like that? Hell yes. You know, put a big, you know, simple filter on it to begin with and then go with a gradually finer and finer filter until it's, you know, cleared. Um, I've used apple butter. Um, That makes a very interesting sizer. A couple few jars of apple butter into that, you get that real heavy, you know, character from the apple butter on top of the the honey and the uh, crispness of the apple. And you got pretty interesting uh, piece of uh, Americana there with everything thrown into one little glass. So, or a big glass, depending on if you're using one of my glasses. Um, (laughs) Trader Joe's. uh, Yeah. Good ingredients, isn't it? Oh yeah, TJ's yeah, great for getting Jones. little things. Yeah. yeah, he used to tease me with uh, TJ's. He's like, so I went to TJ's and got this really amazing steak today. We didn't have Trader Joe's then, so he was constantly teasing me. But we have them now. But it's three buck chuck here instead of two buck chuck. Look at this for you guys. So, <laughs> yeah. well, they're closer to three buck chuck here now. Oh, are they? Oh, okay. show, show. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, I, I but you know, thought you, about that. Go ahead, sorry. I'm telling you now, though, if you're going to go into uh, Trader Joe's in search of two-buck chuck, uh, walk by the two-buck chuck and go for the block red or block white. It's a (laughs) cardboard box with the bladder in it that's got the equivalent of four bottles of uh, Shiraz or Chardonnay, both Australian-made, for about 10 bucks, Hmm. And it's very passable wine. I've actually, on a, on a couple of different occasions, had people over and got my decanters out and decanted the, uh, the red into two decanters and put it on the table and listened to people rave about it. Oh, you got to tell me what this is. This is great. <laughs> 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 
And what was so the then I walked over the pantry the and I, <laughs> yeah, I just pulled the box out and I go, it was a good week. <laughs> oh, funny! I like using. Uh, I usually use the Charles Shaw Merlots when I cook. Yeah, oh, I yeah, ah. I buy a case. I'll buy ah, a case of Chuck good, to, good to Yeah, I keep it for cooking wine. I don't drink it much, but it makes it makes pretty decent cooking wine. Yeah, half a bottle of the uh, yeah, two Chuck, Chuck Red, you know, in a in a really nice. Oh, there's some stellar oh. Merlots out there. Sideways did Merlot an injustice. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess maybe a little bit, but my personal experience has been that 80% of Merlots are crap and the other 20% are pretty good, you know, but I, it's so hard to weed out the, the ones that are awful. I, yeah, that's why I always come to you when I'm looking to get something like that. Cause I know you drink a lot more wine than I do. So I'm, uh, there's a lot of great Merlots out there, yeah, but there's unfortunately a lot of icky ones too, sadly. <laughs> Being the producer, I'm on the other, side of the other side of the studio, staring at the clock, and we are in overtime. So, <laughs> I, oh well. So, what else is new? Yeah. So, what else is new? Uh, that, exactly, guys. That was with 20 minutes of unrecorded conversation <laughs> before we started all of this. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. Which one, maybe two controversial things were said. Well, yeah. If we're not a little controversial, people get bored. And besides, every, anybody who knows anything about you knows that if they're probably really sick. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the Halloween you, is tomorrow. So it is tomorrow. Yeah, oh, I'm gonna God. be I'm gonna be out playing with black powder this weekend. So mortars and mortars and muskets and carbines. Oh my. Nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's supposed to be a really nice crisp weekend too, so campfire time totally. Oh, that'd be great. Hey, yeah. you can buy campfires with black powder and have lots of fun. I have all kinds of fun, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, we save we save that for twice a year when we get to shoot our cannon and uh well, three times next year because we're going to go out and participate in the National Artillery Competition in Grayling, Michigan. But uh yeah, it's it's fun. I don't want to waste it by putting it in a fire when you know I can use it to throw lead downrange. Yeah, actually, what I'd really like to see is a pumpkin stuffed with black powder <laughs> and a primer in it, hurled <laughs> off of a ballista. We've done the that. Pumpkin not bomb. In, not yeah. at this event, but there are people who have done that. Oh, we had you'll like this one. Totally off topic. Uh, at the Carolina, what used to be the Carolina Renaissance Festival, North Carolina Renaissance Festival in Raleigh years ago, used to be at the state fairgrounds. And we had people who were into artillery. So they were building trebuchets and ballista and, you know, other fun toys like that. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, the trebuchet is is kind of like a catapult and it flips things up in the air in a long distance. So anyway, they made a miniature one that was maybe six. Hello, Vicky. Oh, it sounds like she's dropped off. Well, sorry, uh, guys. Every time my phone rings, it puts me on hold, and pe- my phone is suddenly ringing off the hook for some reason. Um, no, uh, where did you lose me? Six feet. Six feet by eight feet. Yeah, yeah, not a very big one. But anyway, they they, they loaded the uh, cup of the thing up with several uh, bags of peeps. You know, like Easter peeps. 
and the, and then we lit them on fire and flung them. Oh wow! Flaming peeps. Flaming peeps. Yeah, it was really really good. Unfortunately, the fairgrounds did not think so, and we got in a little bit of trouble. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, right down. We were right down in front of the stadium where they on the track where they do the. Uh, um, stock car races during the state fair and, and yeah shooting flaming peeps through the air the, the audience loved <laughs> <laughs> so Vicky's playing with her black powder so if you live in North Carolina on Halloween I suggest you stay in the house <laughs> uh, we aren't going to be near any of the houses we're way out in a field but All right. some years some year we giant pumpkin to empty our uh, hot ones into if the blows over still have a shot in the barrel you know, that's always fun. And it's part of my ongoing scientific study of the meanderings of basic uh, trick-or-treaters. I will be out tagging um, rogue trick-or-treaters and tracking them. Ah, no way! <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, well, I take it we've wrapped the Ask Oscar segment and have moved into the uh, wrap-up of the show. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. This is what happens after. The, this is the kind of stuff that happens after the recording goes gets turned off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For those of you who always wondered what happens uh, in the after part, um, but yeah, just uh, letting you know we're not normal. In case you were thinking that we were. <laughs> yeah, if you thought this was a some kind of a radio station, yeah, never mind. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I so certainly much. learned. Uh, I certainly learned quite a bit, and I mean, just to, you know, the short piece about the nutrient thing kind of eased my mind a little bit. I, I you know, I kind of knew what to do beforehand because I've been talking to Pete, uh, and he's been helping me with these two recipes that I've got going. But I mean, it's it's still out there. You go to these brew shops, you're faced with a shelf full of nutrients, you know, and they're telling you one thing. Uh, each one of them are actually telling you something different, and. Uh, you know, here, try this, try that. And then, of course, the sizer thing. I, I, I'm eager to get into doing some sizers, uh, but I want to complete my first two projects I've got going. I just, I got to be careful how much I get, get going in, in, in the house here. Uh, Wife get mad at you? Well, yeah, when it starts taking up, you know, when it starts encroaching in on into the living room and the bedroom. <laughs> you just need to do like Pete and just convert your garage, you know? <laughs> if I had a garage, I would. Ah, uh, uh, okay. Then build a garage and then convert or, it. Or work out some kind of a deal and come down and use Pete's garage. But uh, uh, that's his mad scientist cave. I think I think he only sells tickets to that on it. You know, like alternating blue moons. Well, I still haven't gotten an invitation well, down there and visit yet. So yeah, it's 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 in the process of. I'm going to be doing renovations here right after the beginning of the year. So the garage is going to get a a bit of a garage makeover because it, it's turned into a uh, a catch all of a. Uh, because you know, I've got other stuff in there actually now besides my mead making equipment, and oh, okay. um, I've, I've got to do clean out and all that kind of stuff. I've got a weight machine in there and a treadmill and all that, and it's uh, it's kind of made it to hmm. I don't have as much room as I used to, so I've had uh, to offload some stuff into the side uh, building on the property here. And uh, yes, I have a side building, and uh, uh, so I've got a coordinate and figure out I'm going to do some things in there because you know it was all just slab floor before I'm going to go ahead and paint that with that epoxy paint and put some uh, new drywall up and give it a fresh coat of paint and all that kind of thing so I'm in, in the process of kind of planning that out but I've got a couple of batches that I want to get underway because I've got some experiments that I need to do 
Fun and games. So the so the mad scientist lab is getting pimped. <laughs> Pimp my garage. I don't know. Did we just lose Pete? Pete, did we just lose you? I think we did. Um, so Maybe his phone rang. <laughs> well, it, it could have been. Yep, Pete just uh, Pete just dropped off. So yeah. Uh, well, it's weird because I got two phone calls while we were doing this, and apparently. Um, when you're on Skype on your phone, it puts yeah. Skype on. It helpfully puts Skype on hold for you when a call comes in. <laughs> well, that's why. Well, that's one of the other reasons why I have to use two Skypes when we're when we're uh, doing a show. I've, I've got two Skypes running on my system here. Yeah, I know you do. You've got you and then you as the group. Yep, and then uh, yeah, and then if anybody. Uh, uh, well, I mean, without getting into all the technical stuff, it's, it's very difficult sometimes when if somebody he just to, figured out that he dropped. Yeah, uh, if so, you know, if people try to contact you on Skype, it'll put the whole show on hold. So uh, we've got yeah. to be careful about that. But um, we'll bring Pete back in so that we can say bye, and then we can wrap this up. Trying to trying to get him. Uh, there we go. We're back. We're back. Yeah, I know, you got booted and I got put on hold, and it wasn't, and none of it was JD's fault. So blame. Yeah, that's what you say now. Yeah, well, yeah. he's he's got all the buttons over there. I don't know what he's I've doing. Got, you know, uh, some someday I'll take a screenshot and show you this layout. It spreads across three screens here that I have to manage, and and I've got two mice that. Uh, uh, yeah. That I managed at the same time. So, but uh, anyway, see now you'd love my you'd love my workstation set up at the office. It's six screens. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm actually contemplating cutting down to two of the 34 curved uh, 34 inch curved screens, but that's a whole other discussion. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, now we're going into what is really you know when you scrape all of the honey away from our profession and, yeah. and you uncover that we're all really geeks, you know? It's, yeah. Or at least a lot of us are. Anyway. We're all refugees from information technology. <laughs> amazing. And amazingly high percentages are. I mean, it stuns me sometimes. Well, kind of me wonders. The only person we're missing for the wrap-up here is AJ, but I'm sure we'll spend a few minutes with her when we come back. But Well, yeah. We'll, she's, we'll, probably we'll, out, she's probably out molesting an insiderless bunny. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... You know, we were uh, we were just trying to wrap up here when uh, we suddenly lost Pete, but uh, the nutrient. So we brought him back to say bye bye. Yeah, <laughs> good information there about the nutrient thing. I mean, I, you know, now I know what to do. Of course, I, I think I've known for a while because yeah, you just I, like to ask questions. That's it. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I know that there are other people out there like me who are are either considering or just starting out, or maybe just a few months into it and face the same kind of same kind of thing when they go to their brew shop. Yeah. Well, and it's just a case of information overload in a lot of cases. You know, there's there's a lot out there. And honestly, this is this is another one of those areas where the KISS principle really comes into play. Keep it simple, stay on track, follow the recipes, and it'll work. Don't get crazy. Into, you know, it's like when you're cooking. J.D., you like to cook, right? Yep. Oh, yeah. The first, the first time you make a new recipe that you found, you make it the way they said to see what it tastes like. Then you go, oh, well, I really thought this should have more garlic and the next time you do it your way 
Yeah, I couldn't tell you how much pasta noodles I put down the garbage disposal because I got the combination of eggs and flour and Seminola wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, but, exactly. Uh, I mean, John, John and I like to invent stuff. We love to we love to cook. Sure. And and we'll but we, if we get a new recipe, we'll make it one time. The first time, we always make it the, exactly the way it says. And then and then we yeah. when we eat it, we analyze it and decide: is it what we thought it was going to be? Do we like it? Uh, you know, does it need to be different? And then the next time if we you know if it gets designated as a repeatable recipe for us then we then then we personalize it the next time you know and then the uh, the, uh, discussion on sizers uh kind of a new category for me i'm I'm eager to uh to want to get involved in that i mean uh, you know california apples out here uh, and like like Pete said, there are numerous places, uh, a little bit of a distance. But yeah, the place to go to, J.D., is up in San Luis Obispo. It's called Gopher Gulch. Gopher Gulch. Gopher Gulch. <laughs> That's good. I like that. Yeah, that's, I miss one of the things I miss about being in Michigan is that uh, Michigan's apple country. And we had some amazing apples there. And North Carolina's got a pretty good apple uh, industry over in the mountains. But the variety here is not quite as broad as what I grew up with. So it's still pretty good, though. They've got some pretty nice apples. Any uh, any famous last words here uh, before we uh, knock this segment out, Pete? Remember to spindle, fold, and mutilate wherever possible. <laughs> and don't forget that it's rape, then pillage, then burn in that order. There you go. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, you know, happy happy Halloween, everybody. I know when you hear this, it'll be late, but hope you had a great Halloween weekend. And uh, it might even be the next day too. It, it might even, yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Thank, thanks so, again, Pete, for uh, you know bringing us bringing us some interesting information and discussion around uh, meat making. Hey, that's right. It's uh, it was fun as usual, and like I say, two wrongs don't make a right three do mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or you know two wrongs or you know two wrongs make a left it depends on what you're looking at or two lefts make a right that could be two alright back to AJ Vicky and JD in the studio we'll see you later <laughs> later bye Well, you know, I think we've pretty much solved all the world's problems. I think we performed a couple surgeries and got what else happened? <laughs> oh yeah, we we were talking about Chris's bedside manner, or lack thereof, and you know, we got uh, we got Chris from Mississippi hanging out with us. Hamish from Melbourne, Australia. He's also in the house. Yeah. And uh, gosh, Vicky, we just got done with an hour long of Ask Oscar that was actually pretty darn good. Uh, you know, I mean, this is the season, the apple season. It's the fall apple juice, apple ciders out there. Uh, and it's all about the uh, the honey and uh, what kind of apples you want to put in your cider. So, or well, and, and, and he didn't he didn't get into that when you go into Weirdamel uh, land by adding other things to the sizer, like spices and what have you. But yeah. I, I am, it, I get picked on by a lot of people for this, but I am like a total out-of-the-world fan of spice sizers. Love them, love them, love them. You know? oh, that's what I was drinking. Yeah, I adore Cider, a spice no sizer. Hot or cold, it's just the best. And, you know, we uh, we started out that, that session, we are talking about the nutrient thing, and it wasn't necessarily about 
you know, what nutrient do you use and how much? It was, you know, a new mead maker faced with, you know, you go to the brew shop, uh, you know, you ask the guy behind the counter, I, I need a nutrient uh, or this nutrient, I need that nutrient for my mead, but they don't have it. But, hey, I got this, I got that, I got this other stuff in this little you know, two ounce baggy thing. But didn't we have this conversation and ask Oscar like an hour ago? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so I mean, but you know, uh, uh, Oscar kind of explained, uh, you know, how that works. And, uh, uh, so it was a pretty good, uh, pretty good session. So it really was. Yeah. He, he did some good stuff with Sizer. So hopefully you guys liked it. And, um, for those of you who bopped off and are going to listen to it later, I think you will. So, I uh, always like to end the show with, uh, with a mention or two. This one actually comes out of the hive. This is- uh, it looks like you're playing pin the tail on the Patreon, but go ahead. <laughs> this is, uh, this is uh, out of the Oh My God, I'm So Happy thread in the hive in the gotme.com forum. And it's about daylight savings time. And uh, Poker Face Pablo, I think it is. Uh, he what a great what a great forum name, Poker Face Pablo. Love it. Yeah, but he he and Hamish are actually having this conversation. But Poker Face Pablo says, uh, "I was listening to Vicky narrate your messages on Godfeed Live last Tuesday." He's referring to you and Hamish uh, when. We oh yeah, I was reading Hamish's, <laughs> Hamish's uh, the Skype messages. Cuda booty cat. Kuda Kuda Pudi, yeah. No, that's <laughs> true. He calls you. I just call you Kudamish. Yeah, well, hey, For the record, hey, it's Kudapuchat. Kudapuchat. Gotcha. <laughs> See, now we've actually heard it pronounced correctly. <laughs> Thank you, Hamish. And uh, so Hamish is going on talking about how he's got three monitors, always has Skype on all the time. And then Manny gets into the conversation and he says, uh, he's just got to start listening to the show. So here's your Seriously, shout out. Manny, you were like one of the most enthusiastic patrons ever to come on Got Mead. You're just getting around to this? I'm hurt. Manny, really. shame on Seriously you. Seriously hurt. So there's your shout out, Manny. I told you I was going to do it, so there it is. What took you so long? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I've been giving him a hard time, too. Oh, good. Thank you, Hamish. I appreciate it. Oh, Thunder from down under. <laughs> so uh, with that, uh, ladies oh, and gentlemen, just to just to put it out there, um, because this will, yeah, Hamish had us on speakerphone all over the office today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure that'll make itself into the forum. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, another uh, another fun night here, party night on Tuesday nights, nine o'clock. Join us next week one more time. At 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, right here on GodMead.com. GodMead Live! Thanks for... Wait, don't go away yet. Don't forget, next week we have Jennifer... We have Jennifer Cost at Legendary Meads, yet another oh, yeah. up and coming, not yet open meadery. Don't miss it. You want to be there. So, uh, that being said, bye. Very good. Thank you, Chris. Uh, thank you, Hamish, AJ, Vicky. We'll see you all next week. Bye, bye. everybody. Bye, bye y'all.